You're listening to the Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much for tuning in today to the SBNY Podcast. My man, John Lucas Duffy, is here with me in person. What's up, dog? What up, what up, PD? Everything's up. The NBA playoffs are freaking are hot right now. Way They're hot. Up. Warriors, Rockets, Sixers, Raptors, Celtics, Bucks. We got Nuggets, Blazers coming up. For the NBA nerds out there, Nuggets, Blazers. Specifically for the NBA hipsters. That's the ultimate NBA hipster series right there. So much to talk about. So happy that me and Duff are sitting in arm's length of each other, getting to just talk it all out live on the Sports Blog New York podcast. Also, shout out to the Team Left Jab Radio Network. Check them out on Blog Talk Radio, on Stitcher, everywhere you listen to podcasts. Our friends over at Team Left Jab. Yeah, they may be into some MMA, some boxing, but they were looking for some more sports-related content. Expand your horizons, people. That's it. And especially some content that had to do with New York, which we do. How perfect is that? I've been there. Team Left Jab, shout out to them. Some new listeners coming in every week at a Team Left Jab. So shout out to you guys for listening. And uh, also, don't feel don't feel bashful. Go to the Sports Blog New York podcast on iTunes. Drop a little five-star review. Tell us what you think, what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of, and we will listen. We're here to take what you guys tell us and make this thing better. Right, Duff? Absolutely. So on today's episode, hopefully we do a good job and you enjoy it because we talked about all these NBA series. It was an absolute blast. And, uh, I mean, I couldn't be happier to have my guy Duff in person, which we haven't got to do in a long time. That's right. The games that have happened, the games to come. But first, I'm going to tell you why Danny Jones was the steal of the 2019 NFL draft. What's up, everybody? Sports Blog New York Podcast. Pete Kennedy here, joined in person for the first time since we started this whole podcast, what, two years ago? In person. It's not the first time we've seen each other. We've hung out many times. Yeah. First time we're recording live in person. Again, like the good old times, except now we have microphones. We're sitting at a table, and we're like a little bit more professional, I guess, with this whole thing. But John Lucas Duffy in the house, man. What's good? What's up, Pete? It's it's a wild scene to think where we came from. We're just literally sitting at your desk with the MacBook out on GarageBand. Yeah. Just slamming some takes on. It's the, it's the same Mac, it's the same MacBook. So it's the same computer. But now that is not the source of all of the audio. Like we have microphones, a little mixer action, some headphones. Yeah. We're doing it. We're doing yeah. it big. It's a big time now. We're doing it big, and we got to hang out today to watch some hoops together, which is fantastic. The NBA playoffs in full swing. Second round has started. We had uh, you know a little Raptors Sixers action Saturday. Nuggets clinched Game Seven, beating the Spurs. They'll now take on the Blazers, and then of course we had the two. Uh, most anticipated series, probably, that we, that we can have in a round two. Highest profile teams. For sure. Celtics, Bucks, and then Warriors, Rockets. We're going to talk about it all. But there is something else that we need to touch on first. Right? We got to talk about it. Also, you know, what, you know what I'm getting right now with, with me and you hanging out on a Sunday evening? Shades of Bill Simmons and Ryan Russillo right now? Just hanging, guess, out, yeah. hanging out on a Sunday, eating some pizza and some wings, and then turning the mics on and letting it rip? We had some good pizza. We did. It was good pizza. We had some good pizza today. Uh, also, if 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 me and you were Simmons and Russillo, who's who? Uh, that's a good question. I feel like, given my uh, history and background, I have to be Simmons. 
Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> you might have to be. Because I'm the only I'm the one who actually listens to him the most, like um, religiously. I'm, I'm I'm there. I'm there now. And Frank's yeah. not here. And Frank's not a fan of Bill Simmons. So he he would he would definitely choose to be Rosillo. But He's, if my dad wasn't a basketball coach. Bill Simmons would be my basketball dad. That's true. He's like my he's like my cool basketball uncle. You you are the basketball family as well. So you have that you have that going for you. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, we have to talk about this other thing that happened in the world of sports for a minute. Uh, it's the NFL draft. It's the New York Giants selecting Daniel Jones. Who he needs to he needs to go to Dan Jones. By the way, I think that's my my biggest take here. I like Danny Jones. Danny Jones is not bad. I, I like Dan, Dan Jones. Sounds tough as nails. Dan Jones sounds like he has nails for breakfast with no milk. You know, Daniel Jones. I trust him with my taxes. That's like uh, Mitch Mitch Trubisky versus Mitchell Trubisky. Correct. Mitchell Trubisky is a, a nobody. He's, he's not, working in a cube. He's a cube monkey, just like the rest of us. Mitchell Trubisky is not kissing titties. Absolutely, he's not kissed one titty in his life. <laughs> Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky. Man. You better hide your girlfriend <laughs> when Mitch Trubisky rolls around. Oh man! But the Giants kind of shocked the world. Even though I think all of us Giants fans knew it was a possibility that Daniel Jones can be taken at six. It happened, and Gettleman's responses afterwards in his press conferences, I don't think it helped his cause. I don't think it made Giants fans feel better. If anything, it made them feel a lot worse, the whole thing with, I could see him sitting for three years. What about the Green... We're just like the Green Bay Packers, and Giants fans saying, no, 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 we're not. No, you're not. We like Eli Manning's not Brett Favre. A whole lot of things do not make the Giants the Green Bay Packers. But nonetheless, Duff, what was your reaction here? Because there was tons of strong takes, most of them expected, anti-Gettleman, anti-Daniel Jones. What do you feel like? I'm I'm for the pick. I, I don't love it at six. Six is the thing that I, I can't really wrap my head around because a lot of people almost didn't have him in their top 50 players, top 100 players. You know, he was maybe the fourth or fifth quarterback for a lot of people. So six was a bit aggressive. Having said that, I have this working theory out there right now that I think quarterbacks who come from worse situations in college turn out to be better pros. So think okay. Ben Roethlisberger at Miami of Ohio, Drew Brees at Purdue, Phillip Rivers at NC State. You know, even Tom Brady had to split time at Michigan. Right. And we think of Michigan as this big powerhouse, but really it kind of hasn't been. And for it's, the definitely past like 20, years. it's definitely not a quarterback. not a quarterback powerhouse. Absolutely either. not. You think when was the last great quarterback to come out of Florida, Florida State? Alabama, Notre Dame, USC. No. We thought it was going to be Mark Sanchez. He completely fell off. So I'm not, you know, no shots to, to Jets fans and uh, Sam Darnold. But no, of course. Historically I mean, speaking, it, Andrew Luck went to Stanford. Russell Wilson went to NC State, and then he transferred to Wisconsin, like two schools not really known for their passing prowess. Right. You know, I'm not I'm not Mr. Football guy over here. You're but not. But this is a good take. This is a take that you've put some thought into. I'm proud. I, I really. Matt Ryan gonna, went to Boston College. Like I'm not like, gonna lie. I, I I didn't know what to expect from you putting the football take in front of your face, and, and you just you snagged it. That's pretty good. That's I strong. Haven't, I haven't heard a decent counterpoint from everyone. Like who was the best quarter? The, the the last best quarterback from a school like Alabama. There's Joe none. Namath. There. I mean, yeah. I, I, like that's a different war universe. That's a different right. world. A different sport. Like right. I don't even count that. Pretty you sure know? Terry Bradshaw went to Louisiana Tech too. I just want to throw that one out there. Yeah, think about it. That that now you're just now you're just bragging. Now you're showing off. Well, here's the other thing. Peyton Manning. He went to Tennessee. Like you're thinking, okay, Tennessee. But like, is Tennessee really good at football? They're good. Are they? I mean, they're like okay. So, so basically, quarterbacks come from all over the place. There's no the specific last... places, right? When... And also now more than ever, they come in all shapes and sizes. He happens to be the right shape and size historically speaking, but where he's coming from is not exactly. 
uh, a, a place of strength being Duke football, you know? Right. Duke top six players are supposed to be basketball, not football. Right. That's just how it's been. And you said Matt Ryan. I think that's a realistic comp for Daniel Jones. Like, it's t- it's tough to see Daniel Jones becoming Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't have that arm pop. Like, the ball doesn't fire out of his hand like that. But if he, can, if he becomes Matt Ryan, is that a win? Absolutely. It's a huge win. And what I feel most bad about is the fact that Giants fans have projected their hate for Gettleman onto this poor kid. Yeah. Like, this kid did nothing wrong. Yeah. All he did was, you know, put himself in a position to be drafted in the first round, and one team liked enough to do it at <laughs> number six. Yeah. And another thing, there's a, there's a popular enough take. I don't think I'm breaking ground here, but it is pretty understood in football that if you like a quarterback enough to take him in the first round, it doesn't matter when you take him. So basically, the the risk proposition or the cost value, I don't know if those are real cost phrases. Cost-benefit analysis. Yeah, well, something like that. If, if that is strong enough that you want to pick a quarterback in the first round, it doesn't matter if it's 6, 17, 26. If he's your first-round pick, he's worth it in your eyes. It doesn't matter. So in that sense, the Giants like this guy enough to take him at 6, and it is what it is. And now Gettleman is the one who deserves all the crap, and poor Daniel Jones or I'm going to start calling him Dan Jones. Danny Jones is getting projected a lot of this hate. I don't I it's he's in a tough spot because you're right everyone hates Gettleman. It it's weird what he's doing. It's it seems like one the next thing doesn't have anything to do with the other and he's kind of being just sporadic. It seems like right. It seems like someone Who's trying to? You know what it kind of reminds me of is when Bobby Valentine, 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 was, Val- Valentine, Valentine was the manager of the Red Sox. Right. And he was just trying to do he was shooting from the cuff. Right. He was just trying to do stuff to make it his team, sort of thing. Like he was, he thought he was bigger than what was actually happening. And at Gettleman, I get that same sense from him. So he, he's sort of just trying to make his mark and put his stamp on this team. Feels like maybe he's got a chip on shoulders, some improve, whatever it is. But. A lot of things he's doing seem to be uncomfortable for a lot of Giants fans, and I don't, I don't blame you guys out there. But don't, don't do that classic big city, big market thing that people do in sports, where you don't like the circumstances under which this person joined the team. So then you start projecting hate onto them and really overanalyzing things in a negative way. It's not this kid's fault; he got picked six overall. Right. What was he, supposed to? he just entered the draft and he gets picked where he gets picked. He goes where he goes. It has nothing to do with him as a person, right? Yeah, Lori so, Laughlin did not pay any money to get Daniel Jones picked number six. I, that, that we know of. That we know of. That we know of. That's a private school, though, so it might not Correct. be in the books. Yeah, we just don't know yet. Right. Um, <laughs> so just give the kid a chance. That's really all I'm saying here, yeah. you know? <laughs> Nonetheless, he's on the team now. He's on the team. He's going to be in the quarterback room with Eli Manning. And the one thing that I didn't You're love. Better or worse with Eli Manning in the quarterback room? So I, I heard. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I think better. I think better. He's a professional. You got to say that about Eli. One thing he's got, he's professional. He knows how he'll to prepare. He'll definitely learn how to take a sack. He'll, he'll learn how to take a sack. He'll learn how to crumble when the blitz is coming, for sure. Um, but one thing I didn't love, I heard Daniel Jones, Dan Jones, on the K-Show the next day. Danny Jones. He seemed a little bit content with just, like, getting to sit behind Eli Manning. Like, he was like... Yeah, actually, you know, I look forward to helping this team prepare and uh, getting to watch Eli Manning, which is which is nice and politically correct, if you will. But you know, you want to hear from him say, "I want to go in there and compete. I understand it might not be my job right away, but I want to take what I can from Eli. So one day, sooner or later, I will be that person who's carrying this franchise." And there wasn't a lot of conviction and belief in himself that I heard in that interview, and it was like, actually, you know what? I'm pretty happy I get to sit behind Eli because I don't think I'm ready. Like, that was the underlying stuff that I kind of heard from him that made me a little uneasy. I think 
that's that's a fair point. You want to you want to hear confidence and conviction from your first round pick, um, and you want them to contribute right away. But for quarterbacks, you know, it can always be a little different. You know, a la Pat Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers. But Ben McAdoo got fired because he benched Eli Manning one game and ended that starting streak. And the people of New York rallied around Eli and really just went after McAdoo with their torches and pitchforks and ran him out of town. And we could have so used him as like the sacrifice there too. But but after that type of energy from these fans, you don't want to go in there stepping on toes. That's where I think it was coming That's from. Fair. It wasn't from a lack of confidence or conviction. I think, you know, I'm, I'm generally the t- a person, especially with people like athletes who, you know, who get a bunch of people like us just sitting here talking about what they're talking about and right. analyzing it, breaking it down, right? You try to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because he's just a kid out of college. He's in... Probably what I mean, he's in one of the tougher markets in the country for sure, and he's behind a quarterback that is beloved, who's won two Super Bowls, and that fans really rally around. You know, Eli has his flaws, and we all know what they are, and people are not shy about pointing them out. But Giants fans love Eli Manning for sure. That's one thing that'll never change. Even the ones who are like so ready to move on from him still love him. Like, I you gotta have respect. I love Eli, what he's done for your team and your city, right? I love Eli, but. Three years ago, I wanted to, like, this plan should have been started three years ago, not now, you know? Uh, so those things can both exist in a person's mind, and that's where a lot of Giants fans are now. Like, we love you, Eli, but, like, it's time for the new plan. Now the new plan's here. It was not the new plan that we all wanted. So we shall see how it continues to play out. Um, and then what else happened real quick over the weekend was that the Miami Dolphins then traded for Josh Rosen. The, the price was not very high. I forget what number pick they ended up getting Arizona. Maybe it was like a 60-something pick. I, I, I don't know. Um, I could look it up, but I'm not going to. Uh, I just know it wasn't a high pick. And that hurts a little bit more as the Giants were reportedly in that market. And now we reached on this kid at six when now the Dolphins may, got, may have gotten their franchise guy for a much later pick. And that could be a tough pill to swallow. But if Rosen's not the guy, then maybe it was the right move. And uh, that's something that we just can't really predict right now. We just make our best guess. I think this is great value for the Dolphins, though. I, I, I'm jealous. I am jealous. I saw a Dolphins fan this weekend. Shout out to Rick Edelman, <laughs> Mr. Edelman. <laughs> uh, and he was very excited. And I told him I was jealous. I was like, dude, you know what? I'm happy. I wish the Giants made that move because now we have a big risk that was worth a lot of equity sitting on our hands. But here, here's the thing about... If, if Rosen doesn't work out... Not that big a miss. But here's the thing about Josh Rosen. Where do you go to school? UCLA. That's a lot of talent there. Oh, that's a lot of. He had a lot of support not, there. Not as particularly. A player. Not particularly. Just, you know, you get a lot of talent at UCLA. Yeah, but they weren't USC, a good team though. They weren't good. UCLA's not Look, good. It fits. It fits my theory that he would not work out. Joe Flacco went to Delaware. Fair enough. Yeah, elite. Oh, I don't know. Maybe he won a Super Bowl. Right. That's correct. He did with one of the best defenses of all time. But that's besides the point. Got him uh, done. We'll, we'll, we'll see. And I want to see him. We're not going to see him this year. That's what stinks also about it. But uh, it'll be cool when and if he gets to become the starter, having Darnold, a young quarterback, and Jones, a young quarterback, both in New York at the same time, trying to figure it out and who can really get their teams in the right direction first. It seems like the Jets are much closer there now. So also, Quinn Williams. Shout out Quinn Williams. Perhaps the best player in the draft in a lot of people's eyes, now a New York Jet, interior defensive lineman, big boy, ready to dominate pretty much right away. Anyways, Sports Blog New York podcast, Pete Kennedy and John Lucas Duffy hanging out in person today on the mics in 
undisclosed location in New Jersey. <laughs> I was going to just like say the town we're in, but there's no point to that. Yeah. We're in North Jersey somewhere. It's cool. Um, but we're here to talk about M- NBA, some NBA stuff. Also, don't forget, the Sports Blog New York podcast stuff now on Spotify. It's big time. We're big time. Big. Now. I wish I knew how easy it was to get it on Spotify. It wasn't always easy. They used to be very selective. You had to be like host uh, on certain host sites that you had to like whatever. It wasn't easy to get on Spotify. They now made it very easy. So shout out to Spotify, and we are up there. So listen to us on Spotify, Sports Blog New York Podcast. Anyways, the first game we're going to talk about here is going to be the one that is the most fresh for us. We just finished watching the Warriors and Rockets play game one on Sunday evening. And it was a good game. It was a little bit of a weird game. The offensive flow was not quite there. They just got over 200 points combined. It was 104 to 100. Smashed the under. Not even close. Um, but there was a lot of fouls that did and did not happen. And that is something to debate. But overall, Duff, game one takeaways. Warriors take it take away. Take it away. And now, uh, what do you think of it? I, uh, I come from the Jeff Van Gundy school of uh, I hate refs. Sort of thing. So this mm. is a good game for me mm-hmm. personally and my bi- personal biases against uh, anyone in black and white. So that I enjoyed. But what I didn't really like at the end of the game, it felt like the refs like this. This like watching it, it was look kind of looking back. This is like when people say the NBA is fixed type of deal. Mm. This was one of those. It was. It felt like one of those with the way the game was officiated made no sense really at any point in time. So in the first half, James Harden gets fouled on at least three threes that don't get called. At least. At least three. It may have been four. I would say. It probably was. Fair to say, most likely at least three. At least three. So mostly uh, didn't give him a spot to land. Or, you know, one time he got tapped on the elbow. He got snake bit by uh, Clay Thompson. Those all need to get called. I know this is playoffs and, you know, things are a little bit more, you know, swallow the whistle, whatever term you want to use. Those are dangerous plays. Like, God forbid, James Harden comes down and he pulls a Kawhi and, you know, Zaza, someone Zaza's him real right. quick, which a la Robert Ori on the Spurs. So that was a bit of karma for them, actually. People forget that. <laughs> but but here's, here's the thing. Like, I, the last thing I want is for James Harden to break his foot no, in some of random That's shot. The, it's the last thing Because people, like, wants. someone stands under it and now someone else is, like, vilified. We're okay with Zaza because he stinks anyway. But someone else gets vilified and, and, and we don't want that. We're going to take. The one of the best player, maybe the best player in the league right now, out of the uh, playoff equation, that'd be terrible. Yeah, that'd be awful. That would be a big loss for the league if Harden were some way to get hurt on a shot like that. Uh, and I remember watching this game. I think I said it to you maybe twice. It felt like the Warriors were purposely pushing the limits on the step back threes. It felt like they purposely were trying to. I don't know if they were purposely trying to touch their elbow, but purposely trying to get in his space just a little bit, but not enough to make it blatant. Yeah. And I, I always get frustrated at this point because I know the game changes when playoffs come around. It happens in football, happens in baseball, happens in basketball. It's natural for the game to tighten up. Mm-hmm. But those are fouls. And fa- like you said, fouls need to be called. And I think what stung at the end of this game for the Rockets was there was a couple plays in the end of the game, the last couple possessions, where maybe there was a little extra flop on the Rockets' part, and it almost takes away from those plays earlier on in the game that probably should have been called, and in most people's opinions were fouls. So it makes you think, like, all right, now do the refs go the other way, and now the Rockets are going to get all these calls in in Game 2, or are they going to continue to really call it tight and kind of let the boys play? Because I'm sure that the Rockets, D'Antoni, Daryl Morey, 
they're all going to be letting them know that those calls need to be need to be done. Like they need to be made, basically. Hundred percent. And at, again, the the fouls that don't need to be called were the ones that were in the second half. For that, sure. That were like if you that, know ticky tack on it, all the Warriors players, and then that's what everyone's going to be talking about because it's in the second half, it's in the third quarter, fourth quarter, down the stretch. You know, Clay Thompson or uh, Steph Curry almost fouls out. I think Iguodala almost fouls out, and so PJ Tucker almost fouls out. PJ Tucker almost fouls out. So I remember, you know, we're sitting there. I'm saying, if this game goes to overtime, the Warriors are screwed because they really have just kind of been like just nickel and diamond the players. The refs are nickel and diamond the Warriors all the way down the stretch here, and those are fouls I can deal do without, like the reach around foul where Curry clearly just gets all ball. That's that. Don't call that foul. Like, it's out of bounds. It's going to be your it's ball out of bounds. Anyway. It's their yeah. ball anyway. Who cares? Like. Iguodala, he he goes up and he contests a layup, but like someone jumps direct. It was I think it was Harden jumps directly into his chest. It, it was as clean a play as he could have made. Right. So those and it felt like the bad type of makeup call. Absolutely. It was like all right, now you're gonna call fouls that we don't think are fouls. Yes. All right, like if they feel like makeup, but you're they're also not equal makeups because the other other ones are three pointers, and it doesn't help the flow of the game. It doesn't help. It doesn't make the Rockets feel better. Right, like, right. You know, right. it doesn't it doesn't help anybody. Nobody wins from these bad makeup calls. Like right. if if it's a fifty fifty thing and you call it in the Rockets' favor, maybe that's a makeup call that makes sense in people's heads. But these did not feel like worthy makeup calls. Even they yeah, were like they were like random almost. Yeah, I don't need these. The Rockets are thinking, I don't. You know, where the hell was this in the first half? Like you're being yeah. completely inconsistent about it, and I don't really need all these ticky tack fouls. They're gonna put them in fake foul trouble. If this game doesn't go to overtime, it doesn't matter. And then I'd, I'll rather have the 9 to 12 free throws I missed out on in the first half. Right. Especially with James Harden shooting them. So they missed out on a good 8 points. Easily. 7, 8 points. He might, he, he might have made he, all of them. He might have made all of them. I think them. he missed one free throw tonight. So yeah. what, what, I have it right here in front of me. He had, uh, yeah, 13 for 14 from the foul line. So He, he could have had 20 free throws. He could have had 20 free throws. Easily. And it, it would have been completely understandable. Absolutely, and it wouldn't it wouldn't have been ridiculous at all. We were kept sitting there. You were you were asking me. You're like, am I being too much of a hardened stand right now? Like, right. Are, are these? Fouls? I was like, no, these are 100 percent fouls. Right, and because as you know, on this podcast, by the way, shout out to me because you and Frank lost the bet. Rockets obviously won their first round series. Can't wait for you guys to pay for my league pass next year. Sorry to bring that up. Uh, I think it's a little bit raw still, but that's okay. I'm gonna make Frank pay for it. <laughs> no one, no one tell him that. Also, uh, quick aside, as we is, is is Kevin Durant wearing a Carmelo Anthony hat? Yeah, I noticed that in I his post game presser. I didn't want to bring that up. Kevin Durant wearing a mellow hat with the seven on it at his post game press conference. There are some things I like. It, it's it's interesting. There's some players, and I get this with my brother sometimes because he played in college, and he, you know, I remember saying to him like, "Hashim the beat stinks." Like, and I was I was like what, 10, 12 years old when I'm watching him play? I was like, this guy stinks. And he's like, John Lucas, you have no idea how strong he is, how quick he is, like how long he is. Like he, he He's better than you think. And it, like he's 20-something playing Division One basketball with a multiple NBA guys at Villanova. And I'm just, I was totally vindicated. At a certain yeah, point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was 12 years old. I had no idea who this guy was. But here, certain – my point being, like good, good players have – sometimes too much of an appreciation for what other good players do right in the context of you don't know how hard he works all the little things he does that are so good that you don't notice footwork rip throughs whatever special pivots like kobe bryant everyone loves to talk about his pivots now that he's retired for whatever reason so (laughs) so it's it's just like the way people stand up for um carmelo anthony is i find fascinating because there's all types of statistical data and just 
pure eye test where I just really don't like that guy or how he yeah. plays. But then everyone in the NBA really respects him for his abilities. But the way Kevin Durant plays and talks about How does this turn basketball? into Carmelo Anthony again? I mean, How does it always come back to Melo? It's Kevin Durant's fault. He's wearing the Mellow hat. It threw me off guard that he's wearing a Mellow hat. Control the narrative. It's classic Kevin. It would have been less shocking if he, if he was wearing like the Chance the Rapper hat with the three on it, which is basically what Mellow's hat is, just a seven. Just knocked off the chance. It's just it's a number. It's really not much of a thing. It's embarrassing. Anyways, let's move on. And let's talk about Kevin Durant because he was by far the best player on the Warriors today, right? Steph Curry had a pretty on-again, off-again game. Looked kind of weird. Didn't look super comfortable. Took a bunch of heat checks when he wasn't hot, uh, even though he had some great in-rhythm threes early in the, in the first half. Only ended with 18. This game was about two things for me. It was, one, Kevin Durant just being able to just get buckets, get to the rack. In this case, get to the free throw line. He had 15 free throws today. He, he looked like a grown man going to the hoop. Would not be denied. That was number one. Number two, Draymond Green. Still not afraid of his jump shot, but he did some things offensively today that me and you looked at each other and said, I don't know if I've ever seen him do that before. Yeah. That, fall hit- away, that fall away uh, from the baseline was in- with like eight or nine seconds left on the shot clock. Was- you, you rewinded the game I rewound, like, to rewound. make sure it was him. I couldn't believe what I saw. I was like, I, I, sh- I was like, was that Draymond Green? No, it had to be Kevin Durant. Oh, I was Draymond Green. What the- and you missed it. You were looked away for something. It was, it was right at the beginning of the game. I had to rewind it. I had to watch that one more time. And then at just a couple plays later, he makes a play through the lane with a finger roll. And, like, we're looking at each other. What, we've never seen Draymond Green do this before. And then in the second half, he got, like, a technical, he like, airballed a three. I was like, oh, there he is. There he is. There he is. <laughs> there he's, he is. he's back. <laughs> Missed you, Dre. It's true. But with the Rockets set up, the way they play, I think Clay. it felt like Clay was guarding a ton of these threes, whether it be Chris Paul or Harden. Clay, they, the Warriors did a really good job getting Clay on the shooters. Clay should have fouled out. Getting Draymond, he should have fouled out. He's getting Draymond on the shooters, keeping Durant on the shooters, and keeping Curry in more advantageous defensive um, moments for him. Still almost fouled out. Still almost fouled out. They easily could have fouled out. The more we talk about this game, the more I'm starting to feel like the Rockets got chipped here. But here's the, I, but like sort of both teams got screwed in weird ways because it was like the chippy chippiness down, down the end with the foul calls and – the Rockets could have taken better advantage of that. They let up a lot of offensive rebounding, uh, offensive rebounds for the Warriors. That really, like, they could have ended a lot of possessions that they for just sure. didn't. It was a lot of second chance points down the stretch for the Warriors. I know you can't do that. And, and then they had the sub in, sub in Nene, right? Who gets for absolutely cooked. Well, it was for the rebounding, right? Who, who but like, you got to know if you put him in, he's getting switched. Right. He's getting switched onto someone. And that's the Curry, biggest play in the game. And Steph and hits that's a shot. Steph, hits Steph a big Curry shot. hits a step back on him. His barbecue chicken all day. And that was the game. That was pretty much the dagger. Even though they had a great double at the end on uh, Kevin Durant, was it Kevin Durant yeah, who turned the ball over down at the end? Daniel House took it out. Yeah, I didn't um, love that shot. Harden took at the end, but again, that was. And you know what? That was probably the least fouled he got on I any, think so. any of those jump shots. But today. that's going to be the one people talk about. That's going to be the one people remember because it was at the end of the game, and he did probably flop on that one more than anyone else. I don't think he flopped much on the other ones at all. Yeah, he did fall after yeah. he didn't land right because someone was underneath him. That last one. He kind of flopped. I said to you at one point, though, I think it was in the middle of the third quarter, I was like, it feels like both teams should be down by 10 points. Yeah, right yeah. Both teams should be down by 10 points. And, and part of that reasoning is the Rockets shot 29% from three. The, the Warriors wa- shot 30. The, the Warriors only got up 22 threes. 
Warriors shot 32%. Right, but I'm saying they only got up 22 they threes. 20, they took less than half as many threes as the Rockets. Exactly, but they were super efficient from uh, the free throw line and from mid-range. Really just Kevin Durant there. Uh, oh, he wasn't super-duper efficient today, Kevin Durant. But Well, the free throws getting, made him efficient. He, the free throws made him super efficient. Um, and the Rockets just need some other guys besides Gordon and Harden to hit shots. They need... Uh, Chris no, Paul was invisible. Also, no, P.J. Tucker. Was downright afraid. He did not look comfortable shooting the ball today. And At that all. is absolutely imperative to their success, is his corner three. We saw it in the Jazz series when the Jazz were just like allowing Harden to walk into the paint. PJ's Tuck, PJ Tucker's confidence shooting the ball from the corner is super duper important. And if the Warriors take that away from him, that could change the dynamic of this series because he's so important to their defense and he's so good at defense and rebounding sneaky offensive rebounds. But if he's not going to shoot a, a corner three consistently, his value drops a bunch. Zero points. Zero. Yeah. Zero points for PJ Tucker. And he was 0 for three and he probably had a chance to shoot at least five or six threes and passed off opportunities he would normally take. From the very first corner three he took, I, I looked at you, I said, he does not look comfortable at all. He, yeah. was, he was totally nervous. He knew right out of his hand it was going to be a miss. Is he was he was doing that thing. You ever put up a jump shot and then you just start like you start bouncing up and down. You just know that didn't feel right. Yeah. And then it was just clang off the rim. And then from then on, he knew he didn't have it. I don't know. He either knew he didn't have it or he decided he didn't have it. It right. was one of those two. And somehow it didn't affect his defense. And he was his plus rebounding. nine. He was still good overall. But you need him to hit shots. And that's why. All right. So let's let's do a quick outlook before we move on to our next series. So the Warriors win game one. It's in Golden State. Obviously, if you're the away team, you want to steal one at home. They now have a chance to do that in game two. Who do you feel walks away from this game thinking we can make the improvements to make sure we win next game? Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. So you're saying Kevin, I think specifically Kevin, Durant, Kevin Durant, Durant is on top of the series right now. Yes. That he actually could have played much better. Than he actually than he did He's by so, scoring thirty five points. Right, he is so locked he, in and in control right now. Yeah. He is like since after game, I want to say games three, four, five, and six, and then game one now of this series, he has been the best player on the court in all those games, except for maybe the one Lou Williams game. But right. other than that, I I feel he's been the best player in these playoffs. I don't really think it's. I mean, I guess maybe Damian Lillard. Yeah. Other than that, but that was like a huge heat check for him. We'll see if that keeps going. Um. Especially, you know, it's a little, you know, little you you you, you tread lightly with Damian Lillard and the and the Blazers on certain things, but so far so good for him. And we'll get to them, right? And Kawhi Leonard. Also, so I think if Kevin, we're talking about the best players. I think Kevin Durant saying, you know, Steph got some looks. He was three for ten, and Clay Thompson only had thirteen points. It, I think he's thinking they combined f- for twenty thirty one points between. Uh, Steph and Clay, 31 points, still less than Kevin Durant had for the game. I think he's saying if we shore up other parts of our game, other parts of our team, and I keep doing what I'm doing because I'm Kevin Durant and no one in the world can stop me right now, I think he feels the confidence just kind of get on my back and do what you need to do, kind of make smart plays, play within yourself because I'm the man right now. When he came out that answer – in that uh, media huddle, whatever it was, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, um, since Patrick then. Beverly, and he said he, he did this whole spiel about what they were trying to do to stop him. It was a very basketball, analytically driven answer. It wasn't him being petty. It wasn't him being um, a crybaby or a snake, as people like to call him. It was him being a basketball person who loves the game and breaking it down. And then he goes at the end, turns up the arrogance, and says, I'm Kevin Durant. Y'all know who I am. And since that moment, he has been... The best player on the planet. 
and and that's pretty much non-negotiable for me right. at this point. He has been the best player on the planet. He sent James Harden's floater for a ride with a block today. Yeah. His defense is incredible. He can play stretches as the, as the tallest guy on the court and be effective on both ends. He is the key to this whole thing right now, and I think he knows it. I think you're right. I think he knows that he's the guy, and he's not going to be stopped. And he was saying specifically in that in that uh, answer you're talking about, you know, I could I could shoot over Patrick Beverly every time, but I think that's going to take us out of the flow of our offense. That's what they want me to do. We need people to touch the ball. We need people to touch the ball. That's not how we play. Everyone gets a turn. Everyone gets a touch. Everyone gets sh- shots. Stay in rhythm. But I feel like the coaching staff kind of went to Kevin Durant and just said, hey, like, Take the shot. You're a foot taller than him, right? And I think this game, that really showed out. He was a lot of mid-range fallaways over people he's a good six to seven inches taller than. Right. So if he And a keeps, lot of strong drives where he was, yes. ready, he was ready to dunk or get to the line. Yeah, and that's what it was all about. He, he was really – he only took three threes. All right. That's it. He was one for three from three. That was it. The whole Warriors team, they were just living in the mid-range because that's what the Rockets were kind of giving him. Right. And Kevin Durant, if he's going to shoot, you know – a contested, but you know, not by someone who could actually block his shot or really alter it. It's just going to be hand in his face, right? And he shot the shot thousands of thousands of times. So if he feels comfortable and he knows what he can do, I mean, you take that shot a million times, you know the person's not going to block it. It's, it's really like you're shooting against no one, you know? Mm-hmm. You can shoot it with your eyes closed. Yeah. If it wasn't for that one run at the end of the half where the Warriors uh, took a, like, like a nine-point lead with a minute and a half left, and the Rockets then, Eric Gordon hit a three, Harden hit a three, uh, a couple of free throws. And even the Rockets got a technical, right, at, at the end of the half. D'Antoni and Chris Paul That was at the technical? end of the third quarter. Oh, that was at the end of the quarter? Yeah. Oh, cause, oh yeah, right. I was going into the eight there when they got 82 and 83. Yeah. Uh, but and at the end of the second quarter, the Rockets made it a tie game in about a minute and a half when they were down nine. If it wasn't for that, maybe it wasn't a close game. But moving forward, who's your prediction for game two? You like the Warriors keep uh, home court strong? I think it'll be it'll be really interesting to see how the game is officiated. I feel like, you know, they released the last two-minute report. For to, sure. To see calls that maybe should have been made that weren't, fouls, out-of-bounds, travels, whatever. I think the tale of this game was told in the first half with how they were going to officiate the, the most important call in James Harden's arsenal, which is like the step-back three, is someone going to foul me, whatever. So I really think it's going to come down to how they decide the league decides that these officials uh, performed this game, so I, that's I struggled. I struggled, and that's what kind of sucks about this. Like it was an exciting right. game, it was a close game, but really you just kept looking at it, and I felt like so much of the result was not up to the players, right? Which is always leaves a bad taste in your mouth. So that's why I I think just because the Warriors are home and Kevin Durant is by far and away the best player in the world right now, I really think uh, I I think the Warriors are going to win. That's my that's my pick for next game. What is that email going to say? To these referees. I don't know if that's how it works, but let's just say there's an email from Head Honcho, whoever it is, and he's like, hey, you guys did an okay job. You missed four three-point fouls on James Harden. Like, if this is said, like, you know, like, obviously they put the two-minute report out to the public, but internally, do they say to these refs, there was four three-point shot fouls missed in the favor of the Rockets, or taken away from the Rockets, I should say. Does that change how they officiate the the next game? And it's going to be interesting. I think the Rockets steal next game at home. I think Kevin Durant drops 40. I think the Rockets hit shots. I think they get those calls, and I think they, they sneak this next one out by a couple couple points here. Um, but we, we have to move on. We have to move on to some more series here. Any last words here for Rockets Warriors? Uh, I'm really happy Chris Paul got ejected. I don't <laughs> like him still. <laughs> 
And I, I mean, I don't know what the hell he said at the end of the game, but the ref didn't hesitate, didn't look at him, just teamed well, it was up, his second walking. tech. No, I know. Team, yeah, team up and started walking. He's like, thank God. Oh, he's guy. always saying some shit. He's saying he's something. Draymond Green in a six foot body. Oh man, Draymond Green, three techs by the way. Keep an eye, tech tracker for Draymond. Tech tracker, Draymond Green. If he gets techs. one more this series, maybe two more this series. That's five, six. If he gets two more in this series, he'll and, and the Warriors make it to the finals. Uh, he'll absolutely be suspended for a game. Yes. There's no way he's going to make it through the rest without getting two more times. And speaking of the teams that one of these teams may be playing in the see, finals. look, we're watching we're watching the highlights. They're showing uh, they're showing Draymond Green like on the on the last uh, shot by Harden. They keep showing it on repeat like that was the biggest call in the game. They decided in the first half they weren't going to make that. Whatever we do, we 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 really touch base on this. But you're right. Watching it again, that is the this one is he exactly flopped what on. the narrative is going to be. That's the one he flopped on, and, and that's the what one people are going to talk about. And that's not the one that. He got screwed for, and maybe yeah. he flopped because he got screwed three times earlier in the game. I don't know. We're, like you said, we're talking about this too much, but hopefully, you listeners out there, don't see, be deceived by big media. Yeah, L- listen, listen to me and Duff, especially when we're together. Media. Especially when we're together in person, shooting it old school, back to Bayberry, back to when we just had a computer and a couple chairs. Now we have mics, and we think we're better than we used to. Be. <laughs> I hope. I hope we're better. Um, anyways, let's move on to this next series here. The Celtics versus the Bucks. The Celtics had a very strong performance. Basically handled this game start to finish. Kyrie Irving was in his bag on Sunday afternoon. Giannis hit three threes, but was not getting where he wanted on the inside. And it was a tough game for the Bucks overall. If I told you Giannis, you, let's say you didn't watch the game at all. If I told you Giannis hit three threes, how many, how many points do you think he scored? 30. 30. At Easy, least, right? Easy 30. 30. Mm-hmm. 22. 22 points. He was a minus 24 on the floor. Yeah. Holy shit. Minus 24. Uh, only 5 for 10 from the foul line. He just was not right today. No. He, wasn't, he was 7 for 21 from the floor. It was, you know, he had 8 rebounds, only 2 assists. But the Bucks were just shooting like shit. There was nothing. In the first quarter I was watching this game, it just had that vibe. It was going to get ugly. It was... 15 to 8, which only sounds like 7 points, you know, it's the fourth it's the first quarter, plenty of time. But the Bucks had scored 1 point in like a 5 minute span. And I was just like, holy shit, they're really the, the people say a lot if specifically for the for the great players in this league, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, James Harden, guys like that, you you know, it's not it's not about the one-on-one matchup. It takes 5. It takes 5 to guard them because you need to you need to take away the, the on-ball defender needs to take away what he's comfortable with, and then everyone around him needs to take away their secondary options. And you can really see that happen with Giannis in this game and the way the Celtics were defending him. They were throwing a lot of bodies at him. They were throwing Al Horford at him. They were throwing uh, Aaron Baines at him. Yeah. They both did a great... I think between the two of them, Giannis only made one shot on each of them. So two total shots versus the primary defenders for the entire game. I think the, the Celtics' defense is really the story here. Absolutely. And I think that's what we thought about coming into this series. We knew that Al Horford is one of those guys that can match Giannis's uh, size and length. And um, when Giannis is being really aggressive going to the hoop, Al Horford can put the body on him. And he's obviously not as quick as Giannis, but his defense is smart enough to where he makes up for some of his quickness uh, difference with him and Giannis. So Al Horford, we know, is one of those guys who can give Giannis a problem here and there. But Hubie Brown was saying it over and over again on the broadcast 
The Celtics are like building walls in front of Giannis, making sure he doesn't get to those specific spots where he can lay the ball in. It's layers. They're, they're keeping him just far enough away to make that hook shot or that floater or Forcing that layup. Forcing to use some touch. To be, to be tough brute force. Correct. So they were... They had a strategy defensively mm-hmm. where it was slide sliding to help on Giannis like crazy, and you got to make sure and just hope that some of these other shooters don't don't kill you. There was a moment where Miritich got a little hot. He had a couple threes. Yeah, second a moment, quarter. Like Brooke Lopez only hit one three. Like is that going to happen again? I don't know. But if Giannis isn't getting to his spot and being his most uh, most effective, it's going to take away from these shooters as well. So, in one hand, they were stopping the shooters. They were, con- I mean, they were stopping the inside. They were allowing some of the shooters to get these shots open. But if the Bucks aren't going to hit them, stopping Giannis is more important. And that's what they were really focused on, and it worked today. Yeah, that 100%. And the thing that I'm nervous about with this strategy is, okay, we're really going to commit to Giannis. We're going we're gonna to take some time off these shooters. So what if they start knocking down shots? That's the question. You know, it's, it's Paul Pierce said it during, during the halftime show. He said there's a give and a take. You know, they're really taking away the paint. But this was right after the Bucks had scored 33 points in the second quarter and cut it down to a two-point game. After they shot, I think they made six threes in that quarter, something like that. You know, this is when Miritich comes in and he starts going three for three from three. And then he didn't make one for the rest of the game. Didn't make another one for the rest of the game. And then the second half. He was basically irrelevant for the rest of the game. In the second half, whatever the adjustments were, I think – Really, what happened was they took Giannis out of his rhythm, and so he was kind of he was kind of in his own head about it. He, he had 16 points in the second half, which is pretty 14 points, 14 points. It's quick math. 14 he, he points had, in the second half, half, only eight. In the, yeah, only eight at half. So after they kind of took him out of his rhythm, they said, "Okay, let's make sure none of these other guys get hot and beat us here." Because that's that's it's one thing if just Miritich gets hot, just Brooke Lopez, just Chris Middleton. But if all three of them, they start giving up shots to all three of them, that's when they really run into trouble. And I think this was, you know, the Bucks offense can get a little stagnant at times, especially when Giannis is in the post and they're just trying to go to work. And he's he's just trying to go to work in there and then find open shooters if they it present gets, it themselves. It gets rocket, Rockets-esque. It does. So I think what they're going to have to do is start creating more off-ball action to free up these shooters and and not just rely on Giannis to make a, make a play here. Because I, I don't love his vision all the time. I, I feel like sometimes he makes up his mind with what he's going to do, and he's not sort of malleable with his mindset and really... And you can't do that against yeah. the Celtics. Yeah. You just you, can't do it against you gotta the Celtics. you got to read and react, because it, it changes at a moment's notice. Like there's There were times last season where Terry Rozier is guarding LeBron James in the post, and then on the entry pass, they would switch. So all of a sudden, Marcus Smart is now guarding LeBron James, and it's not it's no longer a mismatch, and we have... The Celtics have defenders where they want them to be. So... You need to really be on your A game if you want to try to outsmart this defense. Otherwise, someone's just got to get hot. Right. And, and if it's not going to be honest. So, is it confirmed Terry Rozier in Eric Bledsoe's head? Just his presence, just being in the building, Eric Bledsoe turns into a shell of a man. It's very possible. Like, Eric Bledsoe was very nowhere, to, nowhere to be found. In he the, was nowhere to be found again. In the first half, he was aggressive, you know, but, but really just. He made one field goal today. Yeah, he was, but he was more aggressive. Like, he. he Right. He, it got, ju- yeah, yeah, he got to the, the line. Numbers, good, good. Right. The numbers would say that I'm lying. But what what I saw, he seemed comfortable. It, it didn't but it, it was didn't just, look like last year. Right. He was just right. overwhelmed. Everyone would just had to work so hard for on every one of the Bucks just had to work really hard for every inch of the of that court. Will Chris Middleton shooting a hundred thousand percent from three continue against the Celtics in the playoffs? It's ha- it has to. Like he I, only shot four. He needs to shoot more. 
Last year, I, I'm pretty sure last year against the Celtics, he shot something crazy like 80%. In the he playoffs. killed the Celtics from three. Last year. From three. Yeah. He killed 80%. Him. He killed. He needs to take over. He he needs to. You know what Chris Milton needs to do? He needs to watch Pascal Siakam, how Pascal is so aggressive when he has his chances and is like, I'm the second best guy here. I need to make that known that I can be a first best guy, a Jace in moments. Because Chris Milton, we all know, has stretches where he is knocked down, where he can make plays for others, where he can get to the free throw line, and obviously he can shoot. Yeah, this is this He needs is the to team. prove it. Chris Middleton needs to prove it and not be complacent with three for four, but be ready to miss a couple, but go six for 11, yeah. which is still incredible for him, obviously, like for anybody to shoot six for 11. But he needs to be willing to miss more shots because he's shooting at such an impressive clip where he's making that many. We, we have been talking about Chris Middleton trying to take that next step for years now. Because I've always Us been a specifically. fan. Yeah, oh, I've been, yeah. I've been a fan. Absolutely. And, and he's been a lot of fun to watch, and he's got such a smooth stroke. But there's a theory that uh, Mark <clears throat> Mark Titus has, who's a club co- trail. Yeah, club trail. One shining podcast. He's a he's a college basketball guy. But he has a theory that you should never be shooting higher than forty percent from three. You should never. If you're shooting more than forty percent, you need to shoot more. Right. And so you're back down to forty percent. You're not shooting enough. Because it's, it's, it's a good point. If you're going down to forty percent, that's still more efficient than any like shooting six. It's it's like shooting sixty percent from two. So just. You need to always be shooting 40% from three. And right. the fact that he's shooting, all right, yeah, that's great. He's shooting like 85% from three against the Celtics or whatever ridiculous number it is. He's got to shoot more. He's got to just, just come down the court and just pull up. Pull up from three. And he, he did that. He's, he, he has to do it more. He needs to still do, do it more. more. That, I love that. Sometimes that, that that's Mark just Titus his best take. shot. It's Mark Titus's take. What's one of his best theories, honestly? It's, he, has, he has a number of good like overarching takes. That's one of his best. I really like that one. It's a good one. I mean, James Harden and Steph Curry are the perfect examples. Steph sometimes shoots over 40% from three for the year, which is incredible. But he takes he takes his shots. Yeah. And James Harden, if he was shooting 42% and only taking nine instead of 13 or whatever the hell he's taking now, like you said, he's not taking enough. He needs to take more because he's going to make that one more per game and, and, and continue to add to that efficiency over the, yeah. over the course of time. Um, so now the Celtics, which I think everybody thought at some point, we're going to put it together. You didn't know when. You didn't know what was happening with Gordon Hayward. I think Hayward has now put to rest some of the worries about what he can do on the floor. Now, granted, he wasn't like a super um, stats guy tonight, today, this afternoon, whatever it was. Um, but he showed Extremely the athleticism. Active. He showed the explosion. And he showed the ability to play make All the things that you always expect from an all-star caliber player to see, like say if the shots aren't falling, what do you expect from Gordon Hayward? It's defense, it's passing, it's helping out rebounding, it's switchability, it's activity, it's explosion. And he showed all of those things again today, swinging the ball on on drive and, and, and dishes. And his presence as an actual like threat. all-star caliber player A again threat. is finally back. Yeah, it's finally back. Where other players are like I'm playing against Gordon Hayward now, not some guy who looks like him. Yeah, he was. He was, like you said, the stats don't necessarily bear it out, but he was extremely active on the court, and he really was. He was. He was probing the defense. He was getting into dead areas and creating space for others, which is kind of you know if you're not going to score, you got to set other people up to score, right? So we don't think of him as like a huge assist guy. He had five assists tonight. Pretty good for Gordon Hayward, right? Yeah. So. Now you have that extra threat. It seems like everyone on the Celtics, you know, we were worried that in the playoffs, we weren't sure if they were going to buy in. Because over the course of the regular season, the fact that the Celtics didn't win 50 games is like a crime. That was like, like 
over the years, people have been making the joke, like, is Brad Stevens coach first job? Because he can't make it to the finals, can't make it past LeBron, whatever. Right. But really, you it know. It was a joke because his team wasn't right, even that good. Right, right, right. And so even though they were so good in the in the regular season, in the playoffs, whatever team has the best player usually makes it to the next round. Tends so, to win. Yes. So now that we're, we've kind of hit a tipping point where they have so much talent. I still think the Bucks have the best player in Giannis, but he he has some obvious flaws that they were able to exploit tonight. He's also never done this before. Right. He's never been he's never had this much expectation on him yeah. in the playoffs. Last well, year was cute, you know? Well, he think- was he was awesome last year. We know how good he was, but he had an accountant coaching the team. He had mm. he had a solid surrounding cast, but they were they were a seven seed, or were they, yeah, they were the seven seed last year. They weren't projected to win. They had a chance because the Celtics were banged up. They took them seven. They couldn't win on the road. So Giannis has never done this before. Kyrie Irving has done this before in the playoffs, not as the guy, but as one of the guys. And I would argue that in the playoffs to date, I would just pick Kyrie over Giannis because this dude Kyrie can get his shot whenever he needs to. He can also pass better than he gets credit for. And if he's able to just do anything on Bledsoe or George Hill or whoever he's guarding and just give something on defense, I would argue pretty strongly that as a playoff player right now, Kyrie Irving would should be the first pick over Giannis. In this, between these two teams, like if you're just picking yeah. straight if up you're players, just like if you're yeah. picking for playoffs, He's impossible to game plan for. I don't know how you you can't. You, you don't game plan for him because in the moment where you're face to face at the top of the key with Kyrie Irving, he can do so many things. He can pull from three. He can hit a mid ranger. He can take to the rack and finish with both hands. He's basically unstoppable at getting to the rim. He is the he's, he's so shifty. Easily the best under the rim finisher, maybe in NBA history. Like the small out of the smaller guys, right? Uh, below the rim. That's right. what I mean. So right, like right, below the rim. Yeah, yeah you yeah, think yeah, above yeah. the rim, like Giannis Kevin Durant, is dunking, LeBron, he's Giannis, well above the rim, correct? Michael Jordan, right? So Kevin, or I'm um, excuse me, Kyrie Irving. Now that he is repositioned himself as the leader of this team and the key, the uh, the clear number one offensive option, and everything kind of branches out off of him. I I feel like everyone on this team is brought back in, and the East is. Is sort of on notice here. Like I, I really believe that. I, I really and believe we, we, that strongly in this in we, this win. We all said it earlier. At some point, they're going to start rattling off wins. We're going to be like, all right, the Celtics are back, and it never really happened. Never. They started playing better, and then they'd have a horrible loss. They would win four, lose three. They'd ha- yeah, and, th- and they would lose to bad teams sometimes yeah. as well. They were always playing down to their competition. And then even against the Pacers, they had some hard fought wins, even though they swept. Some of those games were really close. They really stole game two. They stole game two. They let Bojan Bogdanovic look like an all-star for 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 portions of that uh, that series, and though they swept, it wasn't wasn't the most convincing sweep of all time. Now they show up in Milwaukee, game one of the second round, and put a friggin' twenty-two point win on the number one seed in the East. I I'm I'm petrified right now if I'm a Bucks fan. I mean, this is what you're afraid of. I talk. I have a Celtics fan friend in the office. His confidence is annoying. You know, these Boston fans have an annoying confidence now because they've earned it with all their sports. Patriots, Red Sox, Celtics, friggin' Bruins. I don't watch hockey. I'm sure they're good, too. They, 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 they were, won a cup in 11. Right. So Boston fans have this arrogance. And as a non-Boston fan, you want to punch it down. But now you watch this team and you watch Kyrie and Gordon Hayward break down a defense. And when they kick, they're kicking to competent players or really good players like Horford, Brown, Tatum, Rozier. Like, What? 
it, when it starts to come together and Hayward is that secondary guy who can just get to the rim, get to the rim, get to the rim, they are now super, super dangerous, and we know what their defense can do to teams that just don't game plan right. And I don't think it was necessarily – so, again, back to Paul Pierce's point where you're taking away the paint, you're giving them the three-point line. I don't necessarily think that they were doing that in the second half. They really – it felt like the Bucks needed to earn every shot they took. And any any – it felt like almost nothing was always open, like wide open, right? I guess, I guess you know a couple times they don't extend on a Brook Lopez, you know, chalk that up there. Just he's seven foot, and people forget he can shoot. So this really, I I, I bring the onus on Mike Budenholzer here to really make his adjustments next for next game because both these teams basically had a week off to prepare for this, and really the playoffs are always about matchups, right? And now we see Brad Stevens had an excellent plan. Him and his staff had an excellent plan, and they seem to execute it to perfection. So now, how do where do we adjust? Where do we go from here? Because this is something I saw. I felt like I saw in the Sixers uh, Nets series where I, I really felt like Brett Brown actually outcoached um, Kenny Atkinson. I know we we made some judgments on Brett Brown last year after playing the Celtics and Brad Stevens. We made, we made judgments on Brett Brown after Game One. After Game One, exactly. And I think he he made some excellent decisions said, Greg Monroe, you're lucky we can't release you in the playoffs. Just go sit somewhere else. And Boban's <laughs> gonna Boban's gonna step step up here and we're or we're just gonna go small and neither one of you play. If if Embiid's right. not gonna be in the game. So and Atkinson was slow to start Karis Levert, who was clearly their best matchup. He was uh, their best player by far. Right. So now here's here's the that tipping point for for the Bucks and the Celtics here, is it going to be like the Nets Sixers, where the Nets kind of you know come out, they punch them in the mouth, and they weren't you know the Bucks weren't ready for some things the Celtics were going to throw at them, or are they really going to and and then step it up, or are they kind of just kind of fade away and maybe they win a couple games just because they have Giannis, but it'll be interesting to see also what what the Celtics do. There was one thing that went, and we'll get to this later, but there was one thing in the Spurs Nuggets uh, um, series that I found very interesting in Game Six. Jokic goes for 43. Right. And everyone's like, wow, Jokic, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but they lost by like 20. Right. So what happened? What, what If that was so great, what was so bad? And the answer is literally everyone else. Yeah. Because <laughs> they didn't... They, the Spurs they, let everyone else beat them and they couldn't. Right. It, it was essentially... No, no, it, it they didn't let them beat them. Well, I'm saying... They didn't right, let them. Right, 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 right. Because earlier they were throwing extra help at Jokic and giving everyone else open shots. And in game one, it didn't punish them, but in games two and three, it really did. So... Then it, it 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 was starting to. You could see the writing on the wall. They were making the adjustments for it. So in game six, Popovich just said, "Okay, Jokic, we're gonna just play you straight up, and we're not gonna help, and we're gonna make sh- you if you can really score fifty some points and take over this game and just kind of be a dominant big man." Because like, when was the last time a dominant big man really won a series? Won a series by himself, like right. like Embiid is sort of doing it right now, but there's. Mm. But but Simmons not in game one of the second round. Not in game one of the second <laughs> round, but it, but in the first round he really he you yeah, know he's clearly no, he the Sixers' good. most important player. But Tobias Harris, Boban, JJ Redick, and, uh, and the, the game Embiid missed. Simmons was awesome. Yes, exactly. Right. Simmons was sick. So it it really was everyone stepping up around him and kind of doing what they're great at. Everyone on the Nuggets is so violently up and down. It's crazy. And I wonder what's going to happen here with the Bucks. Are they going to be violently up and down? Is Chris Middleton going to really start slashing to the rim or pulling up from three more? What's Eric Bledsoe going to do? He's not a, really a prolific scorer. You know, 
But near, he, he, so he, much he needs it, 15. He needs 14. So much I was just going to ask you a question because I think this is, my question is exactly where you're headed right uh-huh. now. I'm just going to sit up for you. I'm going to give you a, a little uh, alley-oop. You dunk at home. Tatum, Lopez, Bledsoe. Just offensively speaking because d- uh, defensively Tatum was, was great today, right? Offensively speaking, out of those three, who needs to just do more? Who needs to make sure that those shots get up? Like we talked about with Middleton earlier, yeah, great. You shot three out of four. What a great percentage. You didn't shoot enough, right? With uh, Lopez, Bledsoe, and Tatum, who all had very inactive games offensively today, who is the most important? Who's the biggest X factor for their respective team? I think it's Lopez. I think Lopez really needs to do work on the defensive end and for, for on the offensive end, spacing the floor for everyone because – People are going to be slow to close out on him just because the nature of who's defending him, right? Bigger right. guys, slower feet. With Tatum and the Celtics, you have multiple guys who can go for 20 at any given moment. You got Kyrie, you got Morris, you got Horford, uh, Brown, Rozier, Brown, Hayward. Rozier, Hayward. All those guys can go for 20 and you won't think anything of it, right? So Tatum, mm-hmm. he kind of has he has room for error. Like he only has he only had four points today. We haven't really talked about that. Right. But you know, who cares? Because Al Horford got 20, Jalen Brown got 19, and Gordon Hayward got 13, Marcus Morris got 9. Like, everyone does a little bit on this team. For the Bucks. I worry, what what do those guys, they're not incredibly dynamic, a lot of those players. So, right. you know, Tatum can put it on the deck, he can shoot from three, Horford can take a big guy off the dribble, he can face up from mid-range, pop out for a three. Pick, yeah, pick and pop. Pick and pop, you know, or just post up on the block, old school, whatever. He can score from multiple levels, right? Lopez is specialized. He's a, he's really a three-point shooter. He might post up a couple times in the game, but is that really what they want to run their offense around? So maybe they should give him a couple more of those touches. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe he's, he's still pretty talented down there. Maybe he'll add a different dynamic, and you can have Giannis as a slasher and a cutter. And he's he's Lopez is the type of guy who can pass over people. But everyone on the Bucks feels like specialized kind of person, and Sterling Browns is like Jalen Brown light. And he, he's really Malcolm Brogdon light too, because right. Bro- Brogdon's out right now. Right. That, that stings because he can he can slash sneakily. And he's just a solid player who does the right thing so efficiently. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I I think I, w- I would agree. Um, the only reason I would I would shout out Bledsoe there is because Giannis can't initiate everything. Like he just can't. I know in in the regular season it looks great, like when he's putting up monster numbers that it seems like he's initiating the offense all the time. He's really not. Like there is a lot more George Hill and Eric Bledsoe and Malcolm Brogdon that you don't see because it's not in the highlights. Bledsoe needs to be able to create for others. He needs to be able to break down the defense because when he drives and then kicks out to Giannis at the top of the key, then the defense is moving and Giannis is able to get to the hoop. I think it's arguable because Lopez is so important to their spacing and just if he has gravity, it opens up everything. But I I think Bledsoe is really important here as well. Um, What's your prediction for Game 2 because we got to move on? Uh, Game 2... I think I like the Celtics. I think it's going to be I, I whoa. I think it's going to be a bit of that mind game where they're going to say, you know, I, I really didn't see any airspace for the Bucks. Like it was from the start to finish. I mean, there was a scare in the second quarter where they made it close, but in the second half, it wasn't. It, it was far and away the Celtics outscored them sixty to forty in the second half alone. So there, I really didn't see much from the Bucks that was going to be like, okay, t- you know, this is what we're going to do instead next time or. This is where we didn't exploit. There were some things, you know, we could have taken advantage of, but we didn't. I really felt like the Celtics took everything away. And unless Giannis comes out, he's going to have to come out game two like a house on fire, really set the tone and keep his game in, keep his team in it in the beginning. And hopefully, you know, 
the Celtics start overhelping on him to open up things for others, that's really what it's going to come down to. If they if the Celtics can continue to contain Giannis early in the game specifically, it'll be really tough for them. The one thing that stays true for the Celtics right now is their uncanny ability to hold teams under 100 points. It's just like it's unheard of at this point in the NBA. There's there's not other teams who consistently keep teams under 100 the way the Celtics do. Jazz in the regular season, for sure, they, they get, get that done. But obviously, they, they ran into a Rockets team that was just better than them and a bad matchup nonetheless. But the Celtics kept the Pacers under 100 almost the whole, the whole series, if not every game. Maybe the Pacers got 100 once. I think it was every game. Every every Off game. Top of my head. Now the Bucks are at ninety points, and this is the difference between the Celtics this year and last year. And it's exactly the most obvious answer you can ever imagine. It's Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. All year we were waiting for them to click right with this team, but really we're seeing this team last year with the pieces they were missing. Because now Jalen Brown is playing well. The whole team is playing defense. And Irving and Hayward are doing the offensive things they didn't have the talent to last year. And also, last point here with Brown and Tatum. The one thing Brown always might have over Tatum, definitely has over him right now, and may always have over him, is that just, like, FU confidence. Yeah. Like, Jalen Brown has an FU arrogance, confidence, cockiness to his game where he could brick a shot, and if he has it next time, he thinks he's going to make it. And Tatum just doesn't quite have that where he's going to just say, I need to make sure I'm a part of this this game right now. Yeah, and we saw it. Jalen Brown makes it happen. We saw it in Game 7 of the Conference Finals last year where it, yeah. I, I I was watching with my cousin, and he was like, wow, like Jason Tatum's going off right now. And I'm watching the game. He had 21 points. I said he needs to get to at least 28 if they're going to win this point. Like, if they're going to win this game, I think he finished like 25, 24. And it was a close game, but he really just kind of disappeared. And he didn't realize, like, oh, shit, I'm the best player in the court right now. Right. For my team, I need to step up, and I need to be – you know, who who the team needs me to be. It's not necessarily am I ready right now. It's what needs to happen. And he doesn't seem to flip that switch enough. And Brown's switch is always ready to be flipped. For better or for worse sometimes. But you know, to, a lot of times for better. But you know what? One of them's got to take a back seat. Someone on this team needs to be that role guy who kind of just, you know, only Fills the go, cracks. They go when their number's called, basically. The shots, they don't yeah. call their own numbers. Someone's got to call it for them. If that's gonna Marcus be, Morris. if that's gonna be, if it's gonna be Tatum, it's gonna be Tatum. Like whatever the team's got to do. Right. I mean, it's Maybe not the one okay. we expected. Maybe that's okay but with all this talent. Look, it's gonna be less is more. You know, we haven't even mentioned Marcus Smart who's still hurt. Right. Smart right. and Brogdon kind of almost canceled Jalen. Jalen Brown. They, the best stretch well, of the season for the Celtics when Jalen Brown got hurt, and they just had too many guys. And then as soon as he gets, he gets, you know, just not necessarily a good thing that he was hurt, but no. just that they had one less body to. You know, I mean, you feel you less you, mouths to feed. You, you know? kind of feel it with Smart right now, and I love Smart, and I love what he brings to a playoff team. And their defense, defense hasn't really suffered one bit. It's, it's really strange. I mean, it, it, the whole thing, less is more, addition by subtraction, is kind of playing true with the Celtics here. So we'll see. I, I'm, I'm going to say Game Two is a lot, a lot closer. Um, I, I agree though. I think the Celtics are going to take it, but it's going to be like a three to five point game, not, not a twenty, not a twenty. All right, moving on. Let's talk about the Sixers and the Raptors. Again, Sports Blog New York podcast. Thank you guys for, for listening. I mean, it was fantastic. Me and Duff shooting it from the hip, except not really because we actually watched the games together today, which is a lot of fun. Um, but if you like the show 
and I uh, was hanging out at TCNJ. Shout out TCNJ, our alma mater, this weekend for a little alumni event. And I was so happy to hear some of our former teammates or people we used to see at school who actually listened to the show. And that's just, it makes my day when someone sees me and like, yo, I've been listening to some podcasts. I don't get every one, but I get some. Like, I don't care, man. Like, if you take time out of your day to turn this podcast on, it means the world to me and Duff and Frank when he's on and, and everybody who's been on the show before. So thank you guys for tuning in. Don't be bashful. I appreciate when uh, when BK and Scott Wagonblast shout me out on Twitter. Yeah, though I don't have a Twitter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's great. You'll be in like a conversation with them, and then you just randomly at NBA Outsiders, and then I'll just like pop on there. I'll be like, "Oh, okay, what's up?" Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So shout out to all you guys who listen. Don't be bashful. Leave a rating or review. We love to hear from you guys. All right, Raptors and Sixers. Um, Raptors took Game One. And some of the things that come out of this game on the Sixers' end is a little bit scary. So one off the bat, I think we have to talk about him first because he truly is the heart and soul and best player of this team, and it's Joel Embiid. He did not look good yesterday, Duff, or two days ago now once this podcast come out. He did not look good. He wasn't getting his shots. He wasn't making his shots. And it just was very un-Embiid-like because... Since he's been like this great player, basically every every time he's on the court, this guy is a walking double double, a guy who's constantly putting pressure on the defense and constantly making plays, and that didn't exist. So before this series started, I had talked to some Sixer fan friends of mine, and they they asked me my opinion, and and I gave him my honest opinion. So let me tell you this, and I think it was true in, in game one. This is the worst matchup for the Sixers defensively, the Raptors have multiple answers for everybody who's not Embiid. They have multiple answers for everybody not named Joel Embiid. And there's not many answers for Embiid in the league. Maybe say there's five. I'm just making up a number. But one of them is Marcus All because he's got the girth and he knows what to do, Duff. It's so underrated to know what to do in this league. Al Horford does it every playoffs. Marcus All's doing it in game one. Kawhi Leonard, Siakam, Danny Green perhaps our three all-defense uh, caliber players. They may all three be on uh, all-defense team. Marcus is a former defensive player of the year for the, for a reason. Kyle Lowry is one of the sneakiest, best defender, defending guards in the league. Who can Especially gu- in the post. Who can guard bigger players like Jimmy Butler if he has to. This matchup for the Sixers is brutal, and I can see them getting stalemated on, on offense, night in, night out. I think at home, they'll hit more shots. They'll do a little more, but I'm thinking in Toronto, this is not going to be pretty for the Sixers. This hurts me deeply because I am a Sixers fan. It's well documented is at it? this point. You never really say it out loud, but we know it's true. Yeah, I know. You know what it is. You, uh, you, you, you were processing. You processed. I, I, I was deep in the process. We moved to our college, TCNJ which gets New York and Philly stations. It's fantastic. Right during the process, Every like in the sport. middle of the process. Yeah. And you bought in and watched with our great friend, Bab, and you became a, a fan, an appreciator, and a, a truster of the process. That was, that was the NBA team I watched the most, other than the Warriors probably, through that, through that stretch of college, just because, it, you know, shout out Bab, RIP in Colorado. <laughs> uh, you said just have He's him on all the time. Right. We used to watch the homie Dario just constantly. And that was like, that was what we would do. We would watch the fucking Sixers and like, <laughs> was it Tony, Tony R- Routen, Roden, Tony Roten, Roden, Tony Roten and uh, KJ McDaniels. Oh. Uh, 
uh, Thaddeus Young when he was a Sixer. People right. forget that. Anyway, the thing with Joel Embiid, I think he was in this game specifically. He was pressing. He was five for eighteen. He only took three threes. I wish it was two. Maybe even one. I'll live with two. But I think this was a, a, a situation in which everyone was saying Marcus Gasol's great matchup. He's the only match, one of the only matchups in the playoffs that can really stifle Embiid. And that's why the Raptors got him in the first place. So, you know, how is he going to respond to this? How is he going to read and react? He, to me, seemed like he had almost no respect for Gasol in that he he was just pressing and he's like I'm I'm going to put this up I'm going to get foul calls I'm going to make the shot I'm going to do what I do. And he only went to the line he only he only got 6 free throws in this game. And he went 5 for 18 from the floor and he had no respect for what Gasol does to him and it seemed like he was not prepared for what type of defensive tendencies someone like Marcus Gasol has for him and what he's even gone through in the past, even just this season. So it was it was a, a scenario in which you always want your your player to be confident that they can do whatever they need to do to win the matchup, beat their opponent, whatever. And you want them to have a bit of respect for their opponent so you know they'll be prepared for what's going to throw at them. Absolutely did not happen last night. And so it was, you think? So you think he had the confidence? I think but it he was didn't hubris. Preparation. It was too overconfident. I think it was hubris. Right. Yeah. The, and and I, I mean, I mean, let's be honest here. I know you're a Sixers appreciator. Um, people love Joel Embiid, but I've been on this hill yelling, and nobody's heard me. That what like his antics, and I'm I'm comfortable enough to call them antics. They're gonna flip, and they're gonna start pissing people off. And I think people in the league already don't love it. Like I don't people, I don't think people in the league are like, yeah, I just love watching that guy MB play, or it's 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 fun to watch him play, or, or he's got a game that I respect so much because I appreciate it. I think people appreciate his talent. I think he is obviously incredibly talented. I don't think people like him. You think he's got a target on his back? I I do. Like he flops and then will brag about it and then wave on the crowd. Like yeah, blah, blah, wave blah. the players off the court. And he'll be he'll be the first person to scoff at somebody if they flop. But he flops as much as anybody. Uh, I I don't think he's gonna be the most likable, goofy, fun-loving guy that he seems to be forever, especially within the NBA. I just don't get those vibes. I get a vibe from Toronto saying I don't. Like when they the Sixers beat us, I don't want to see them go on and, and win. Like you know, sometimes you respect an opponent so much that if they knock you out, you know, you almost want to see them win because like they you want to lose to the champ probably, right? I don't ever expect that. I never to understood be that. I never I mean, understood that. Logic. That's semant- that's semantics. Okay, but, okay. But I'm just saying, like, I don't think there's any love loss when it comes to Joel Embiid and opponents in the entire league. I don't think there's any of it, and I think the Raptors look at him and the way he handles himself, the way he laughed at elbowing Jared Allen in the face, like all these things are going to start to add up, and I just don't think he's very liked uh, as much as fans like him right now, at least. Well, it's a results-oriented business, right? So Correct. So if he doesn't keep winning and progressing, if they if the Sixers get bounced in the a, second round again, second round out. this is what yeah. they are, you know, it's not good enough. No. It's not good enough for Philly. It's not good enough for any of the pundits or people out there. And I'm sure Embiid would tell you it's not good enough for him. 100%. But he carries himself like and, he's accomplished so much, but that's, and he's done nothing. That's the thing about Draymond Green. I feel the way 
I'm I'm listening to you talk about Joel Embiid, and I'm thinking to myself, this is how I probably sound when I when I talk about Draymond Green. Because I mean, it, are they that different? Realistically, are they that different? Joel Embiid's more talented, but as a person, how much different are they? I think that's it. I think the antics are are similar. I mean, I think Draymond Green is way more aggressive and less um, playful. Yes, less playful, a little bit more aggressive for sure. Yeah, the way Embiid carries himself is is almost more of like a prankster. Mm -hmm. Like when he flops on you, it's like I just pulled a prank on you or something like that. That's fair. And meanwhile, like if if Draymond Green like flops and doesn't get the call, he's gonna like take the ref's head off and punt it into the upper deck. If he flops and gets the call, he'll flex. Joel Embiid will wave on the crowd. Yeah, yeah, like he knows what he just did. I think I think Embiid has a bit more self awareness, but I think. I don't think you're wrong. Do you think? Yeah. So I was just gonna ask. Do you, I don't, do you I don't think really my think take here on Joel Embiid is like out of line? I don't. Do I sound bitter? I don't think it's out of line. You definitely sound bitter because you're a Knicks <laughs> fan. You always sound no, bitter. But I don't. <laughs> do I hate anybody else in the Sixers? I don't. It's him. You hate that Ben Simmons shoots with the wrong hand. That's besides the point. <laughs> it's a different conversation. It's a different. Podcast. How do you feel about Jimmy Butler? Take him or leave him. I don't want him on my team, but he's whatever. Wait, what if, I think he's got to be. Huh? He's not going to be. He's not going to be. We're not going there. Also a different podcast. <laughs> Jimmy Butler. I have, some, I Jimmy have some, Butler. I have some fire Kevin Durant takes. Kevin Durant free agency takes when we get there. We'll get there at the very end. Those will be the last words today. Okay. Those will be the last words today. Okay. Jimmy Butler is unapologetically himself to a fault, right? Joel Embiid is also unapologetically himself, but his, him, his person incorporates... Too many personalities, almost. It's like this tough guy who like won't be messed with, who scoffs at other opponents, who who maybe uh, shit talking everyone, right? Shit talking people, but then also trying to be this fun loving, goofy jokester guy yeah. as well, laughing at a player who he elbowed right in the face. Like, yeah, like those things add up to become a negative for your public image, in my sure. opinion. Outside of your team, like the Sixers, Philly people. Well, if you don't probably, perform oh, well, right? That's what it is. Yeah, Philly people clearly love this guy because mm-hmm. I think he represents, he represents Philly. He represents the city. And that's why people hate people from Philly. Yeah. As well. Yeah. So maybe- I might be a Sixers fan, but I, if you're from Philly, I hate you. <laughs> Just true. know that. Oh, man. We got off on a tangent right there, but it's, I had to get it off. All right, well, let's let's rein it back in real quick. Let's, uh, let's go to your boy. Let's go to your boy, the NBA hipster. NBA hipster's favorite son, yes. Spicy P. It's ba- Pascal Siakam. Spice- Pascal Siakam. I went to go see uh, a concert on Friday, and the band was actually from Canada. And the the guitar player was wearing a Pascal Siakam jersey. Legendary. And I just kept yelling at him, Spicy P. And he didn't hear me, but everyone in the crowd thought uh, something real weird was going on. <laughs> they, they thought I had a disease called Spicy P. They thought I was trying to sell him something. I almost got arrested for yelling Spicy P. I was asked to clarify what my yelling meant. It said it's Pascal Siakam. They said, if you swear at me again, I'm going to throw you out of this bar. <laughs> <sighs> well, just that, when, as soon as we reined it in, that happened. Yeah, there it is. All right, no, no, no. But the, speak, speak on your mans. I want, I want you to tell me, because you, you, were, you were feeling it this afternoon. We were talking about the Raptors a little bit in Spicy yeah. P. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you think is going down? Lay it down for the people. So let me bring it back. Last season, Raptors, uh, Cavaliers, right? We're starting to obviously they didn't have Kawhi Leonard. They're a completely different team. They're a DeMar DeRozan led team rather than a Kawhi Leonard led team. But I was on that. This is a different Raptors team thing last year that people probably forget happened. Thankfully, because I was wrong, because it wasn't a different team. Same. So last year, I was like, this guy Siakam, he's wiry. He's gonna be able to give LeBron some fits. No, he wasn't. Yeah, I don't know if he wasn't ready. I don't know if it just LeBron was LeBron. It's a mixture of all those he things. He needed to put some weight on. He beefed up this year. For sure. This Siakam 
is a different animal. This guy is confident offensively, defensively. He thinks he's one of the best players out there on the court. And they didn't have a guy last year. Right now, if this take this Pascal Siakam that exists today, put him on the Raptors last year, he's the best player on the team. And you and they only lose in five. And they only then they <laughs> they lose in six instead of five, probably. Yeah. No, but this guy's confidence, his ability to get to the rim, his improved shooting is truly incredible. He's the most improved player, and it's not particularly close. And he like he has now killed the conversation to even remotely think that Kyle Lowry is the second best player on the Raptors. And I think that's what needed to happen. Because it so much needed has, to happen. I, I was going into these playoffs thinking about the Raptors. You know, what are they gonna what are they gonna do? Because in my head they're the same old Raptors, right? And we haven't seen them. They got Kawhi Leonard. And I was like, man, really, is is Kyle Lowry really still going to be the second best player on this team? Because I, I really feel like this was a different spicy P we saw. Like, make it's no a, mistake. It's a different beast. Make no 100%. mistake. He made some great strides in the regular season, but he was not he, he was not their second option this most season? of the time. In the second in the regular half, season. he 100% became their second option it, in the second half. Maybe Kyle Lowry's shooting was be, not great this year. It, was, it wasn't, but he was still shooting a lot. And I guess that's because he's Kyle Lowry. He's making the money. He's initiating the offense. But in my mind, that's kind of still where it was. Right. So, and, and in the playoffs, I didn't know where things were going to default to. Was he going to feel I the knew. pressure? Was it? Well, but you didn't know what Kyle Lowry was thinking. Was he going to? That's was, fair. That's my, fair. Where, where I'm going with this is he going to feel he needs to prove himself still right. to be kind of. Well, you, you know, know th- this is still my team. I need to. I need to clear my name and whatever sort of thing from that ego perspective. Right. Or was he going to take a step back and say, this is what the team needs? Well, what, and proved, is- it, what proved it to me, and sorry to cut you off, but I needed to get this in there, the games where Kawhi Leonard didn't play, which was sneaky a lot this so year. It was like 20. Pascal 18, Siakam whatever. had no problem in the second half of the year when Kawhi Leonard didn't play being the guy the offense leaned on and saying, I'm going to get 30 tonight. I'm going to put up an easy 25. And there's this is the spiciest take I've had for the spiciest player in the league right now. Pascal Siakam is Giannis Light. Whoa. Whoa. In case you didn't hear that. You, it, it, <laughs> I was away from the mic. It definitely got picked up by the mic, but no. It was your it was yes. Put that on wax. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Why not? Pascal Siakam is Giannis Light and he's a better shooter. Well then why isn't he just Kawhi Light? Maybe the, there it is. There it is. His, the best comp is on his own team. Maybe he's Kawhi Light. I think he's Kawhi well, Light. The, the the wiriness and the kind of like uh, frenetic energy that he plays with reminds me more of Giannis because we were talking how deliberate Kawhi is. Kawhi gets to his spot and then he turns a quarter of a of a you know what I mean? Yeah, he turns yeah, yeah, eighty yeah, yeah. degrees and then yeah, he's yeah, gonna yeah. fake up and then go back up and then he's gonna shoot like he's very deliberate. I'm Kawhi looked, Leonard. I'm having fun playing basketball. <laughs> exactly. Pascal Siakam's like I'm coming at you with. Ten different limbs. You don't even know where my arms are right now. Now here's a spin move, and I put this layup in. You don't even know where I am. Like that's kind of what Pascal does a lot, and that's a little more like Giannis when the arms are just everywhere and like he's finishing in these random shots. Like that's kind of why the Giannis comp just jumped in my Is head. Is it freelancing and random if it's always a spin move? No, he does a spin <laughs> move all the time. It's so true. He does a spin move so much. He can do it in both directions, and he can pass out of that spin move. Yeah. yeah, dude. I'm I'm obviously hot on this Look, guy yeah, right now. Yeah, but is that the craziest take you ever heard? No, no, no. Because I, I've I've felt like he's been Kawhi light sort of this whole time. Just because they're on the same team, maybe I. It felt like what they accomplish just, is Kawhi. What he accomplishes is definitely Kawhi light. Yeah, but the and style I think, might be Giannis light. You're saying the style, but I think he might tighten it up over the time, and I mm. think he might just kind of have 
this this menu of the moves in his brain where he just kind of breaks it down like that. It won't be so much freelancing like we think of someone on the extreme of that, like Kyrie Irving, right? right. But and then on the opposite end of that is really just Kawhi Leonard because he's so good. He's just like I'm going to do this thing. And you're going to stand there and pretend to play defense while <laughs> yeah. I do this. Like, Kawhi Leonard, I'm going to take two steps, put my shoulder in your chest, move you off just a little bit, a little sidestep, fade away, boom. Like, it's very consistent. It's very deliberate. Yeah. And the point I was getting at with, you know, the Raptors' second-best option thing is, the you know, in my brain, they were the same Raptors. This year, they're not. Because the two biggest culprits of their uh, lack of playoff success were DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, like no no shots that I think they're bad players or anything. It's just whatever it was, their game was sort of just tailored towards the regular season instead of the playoffs where people could just more easily game plan for what they were going to do. And especially because they were smaller, less versatile players, you know, like what, what how tall is DeMar DeRozan? Like 6'5", maybe 6'6"? Six, six? Yeah, 6'6". Six, six. And, and, you know, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, it doesn't seem like a lot more. But it really is. Oh, but when you're especially six eight with, with your, the seven one wingspan, exactly. Especially with the wingspan and that length, like that's really what kind of what kind of changes the dynamic here. So these aren't these aren't your uh, your your dad's Raptors here, okay? <laughs> so this is not your father's Raptors. Not <laughs> this is not your father's maple syrup or his Raptors, okay? <laughs> that's great. Those are two great things right there that we have in this last segment. And we have not your father's Raptors, and also. The spicy P, the spiciest take of 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 the year, I think by me. That Pascal's he's spicy. He's spicy Kawhi Leonard. He's, I think that's ooh, what it is. Ooh. I think he's just spicy Kawhi Leonard. He's spicy Kawhi Leonard. Like I, I am so impressed with this guy. Twelve for fifteen from the field. He's like, if Kawhi Leonard me? had emotions. If I told you right now, I that I looked into the future. Right, I have my little crystal ball here, and that next season Pascal Siakam averaged twenty three and a half eight rebounds and four and a half assists, would you be shocked? No. Especially if Kawhi's not on the Raptors next year. Would you then then it's like I could almost Then lock, he's the guy. Lock it he's an all star next year. They might play he, they he might, could've should have been an all star this year. They might replace Kawhi Leonard with Kawhi Leonard. With spicy Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, it was wow. spicy Kawhi Dude, Leonard. We are on to something here today. This is good. We need to hang out more in person. The, the, don't live in Staten Island. The Skype oh, don't, don't live in freaking Jersey, bro. How about that? That's fair. Let's just both move to the city and call it a day. How about that's, that? How about that's, that? That's fair. Anyways, we have one more thing to talk about. Let's but let's, let's finish our um, our game two take now. Game two is Monday night, uh, so this podcast is coming out on Monday. So the game's tonight. If you listen to this on Tuesday, you can see if we're right or wrong. Uh, game two predictions and rest of series prediction for Sixers Raptors. I I think. This is going to be similar to what we were talking about with the Celtics and the Bucks, where one team just looks so much better than the other. And I feel like the Sixers weren't getting bad shots. They just weren't making them. They weren't making almost anything. And this back to the 40% uh, rule for, for three-pointers, you should always be shooting like 50% from two. And Ben Simmons shot. Seven for what was it? Seven for eight. Yeah, seven for eight. Seven for eight. My man, what the fuck are you doing? Taking two shots per quarter. Yeah. What the fuck is that? Can't be done. That you just you can't do that, especially when you're playing that well. This is not an indictment on him as a as a as a basketball player. It's as a decision maker. Like, 
you you need to be more aggressive. Did you see? Did you? It's like he completely forgot what happened in the Nets series when he was right. taking what the defense was giving him and initiating more. Now, this this defense extended out more on him, so he wouldn't be, get the full head of steam. And and the Raptors just better team than Nets, flat out. So much better. So I mean, top to bottom, just better. Just a, the Nets might be the Raptors light. Maybe we could say that. Like, yeah, not, maybe. Not even though, Is like, Karis Levert like bland, spicy pee? <laughs> I mean, they're different players. Yeah. Well, that's fine. No, I don't know. We had, I don't know. I we had to go there. On that one. We had to go there. Um, I need more from Ben Simmons, and I think, you know, when, when everything I said about the Celtics, you know, people kind of falling into place. The Sixers. I need Jimmy Butler to understand that he is the fifth most important offensive player on the Sixers. It 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 really starts with Embiid, and then it can go Simmons or Harris. Either way, there because those those two are just going to be infinitely more efficient than Jimmy Butler. Just naturally just it's not in his nature and then jj reddick because he is their and the gra- only the gravity the real shooter the, oh, yeah the only legitimate constant long-range threat that they have on the team do me a quick favor just the starting five for the sixers right just name them for me and i'm gonna give you all the guys on the raptors who i love the matchup against defensively so just get, just give me give me a sixers player i'm gonna give you the guys who i think match up very well against them defensively. sure ben simmons Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green, Pascal Siakam. I would throw Kyle Lowry in there. And too. Kyle Lowry's not Honestly, bad. Kyle Lowry's he, not bad. He's good in the post. As he's strong just like enough, a thick yeah. fucking bowling ball of he's a got man. That big old butt. Big old Peach Lowry back there. <laughs> and uh, all right, so JJ Redick, Kyle Lowry, Danny Green, and then either Pascal of them. Siakam. Yeah, sure. Not Kyle Lowry though. He doesn't want to run. He doesn't want to run. Doesn't want to run. Danny Green for sure. Hundred percent. Danny Green That's, and then Kawhi and and. Spicy P can do it and for, for yeah, small stretches. You just also, throw, just put those two for everyone. Fred Van Fleet, why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? If he's if he's willing to run, mm-hmm. keep going. Uh, Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, Danny Green, any of the two other guys. Spicy P, yeah. Kawhi and Spicy P can guard anybody but Embiid. Pretty. Much. I think I would. I would. And I would, Siakam was even on Embiid sometimes. By the way, a little bit. I would still throw Lowry on Jimmy Butler. I, I think Lowry's again, the best. He's not going to extend to three. Lowry's the like, the best one for Butler, just based off. That's other good matchups. for the Raptors if Jimmy Butler's taking threes. Yeah. So and then Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris, same thing. Dude, Kawhi Leonard. Maybe not Lowry though. If if he, if Kawhi Leonard wants to put his energy on Tobias Harris, I mean Tobias Harris. Kawhi Leonard can guard series. anyone. He's out of the series. Kawhi Leonard my, can guard anyone. My point team. is, yeah, this Raptors team, they can mix defense. and match. The versus, imagine if they had OG and Anobi. Unbelievable. And I, I uh, whose podcast? I think it was Zach Lowe and uh, I think it was Ar- was it Arnovitz maybe or they Thorpe? Were, it might have been one Thorpe. They were saying how one time they uh, he asked the coach of the war. He asked the coach of the Warriors, you know, how do you get your guys to just know when to switch and when to not? Like, what do you teach them? What do you show them in film? Like, what drills do you do? And he goes, I do nothing. They're just smart. <laughs> and he's and and he was like, I I really don't. And so Arnovitz's point was. Not only are Kawhi, uh, Siakam, Lowry, Green, and Gasol just good individual defenders, they're really smart and they know what to do and when to take risk and when to switch and when to hedge. And I'm ner- I'm nervous. I this series can be over in five games. First of all, watch your mouth. I'm just saying. Don't don't say that. I'm just saying. Not in my house. You're literally in my house. That's true. Show some damn respect. We're in North Jersey, though. The same Philly country. If we were in, if we were in Ewing, like I know we're not savages. Then we're in Philly country. <laughs> I like how you just stood up for Philly and then ber- <laughs> and then berated them right after. Never that. forget where you are and where you come from, uh, Philly people. This that's so funny. Just right. not for me. Last series. 
let's just do a little preview on it. Just a couple minutes because we're already running pretty late here. Already, uh, already pretty deep. Yeah, this. I mean, there's there haven't been any see, games. Yeah, we didn't see a game yet. Haven't seen a game yet. I mean, so just keep, just do a quick keys to the series for me. Uh, Blazers Nuggets. I mean, I think I think three point shooting is going to be the difference maker here, just because theoretically the Blazers are going to be so consistent with uh, Lillard and McCollum, and then you know ancillary guys, Aminu, Seth Curry. Who's shooting the shit out of the ball? And then, as he does, as he does, as they, as those Curries tend to do, the, those rascal Curries. <laughs> Once you get them on the court, they can't stop. Right just, there, it just is. Keep shooting. What do you, th- what do you think if, like, just Sonya got out there at a ten from the corner? From the corner, at a ten. Seven, easy. Seven out of ten. What about Aisha? Aisha, mm, she don't got the blood. She married him. She don't got the blood. She's married in, but the confidence has got to be there. And you're saying yourself, Sonya Curry. She married in also, but she produced the best. She's part of she's, it. She's don't get 50% it twisted. of the best shooter in the league. Don't get it ever. twisted. Mama Curry don't mess around. Show respect. Okay? Aisha, Aisha, I'm saying just based off the confidence of being a Curry, she's at least hitting four. Okay, good. You're giving her more. I was going to say at least three. Uh-huh. But and, <laughs> Here... <laughs> What an off-the-rails conversation. I know. Back to the, I, th- I felt like it was a good question. It was good. Uh, back I'm, in, to, I'm into it. To the Nuggets, though. <laughs> They're so up and Wait, down. Wait, hold on. Like, what about they, Riley, though? We got Riley Riley is already a better shooter than me you're right pr- now. And you're actually a pretty good shooter. Right I'll now. She's a better shooter than me right now. Is she playing on the low rim? Because I don't think she can reach 10. I think points. on the low rim, it actually messes her up. I think she does better on the big rim. <laughs> I think just, just it, it's in her blood. Right. It's just her mindset. The Nuggets. Jamal Murray. It's just so they're so up and down from the perimeter. I just the Nuggets perimeter play. You know the one constant is always going to be Jokic, right? And Millsap is the only one with any sort of playoff experience besides Isaiah Thomas, who doesn't play. And I think well, people didn't talk about this. Wasn't Will Barton on those early Blazers playoff teams with with uh, Lillard or no? I looked that up. I feel like he was. He was definitely feel, on no, the Blazers. When people talk about uh, Nuggets playoff experience, they never bring up uh, Will Barton. Which Joel, I find Joel Barton. That's interesting. Will he be keep buckets? Going. Anyway. Um, it's it's kind of like the haves and the haves nots with these two teams because the Blazers have all the perimeter talent and the Nuggets have all the interior talent with Jokic and I I really wish Nurkic was playing because those two back and forth I think would be really exciting because that's a lot of beef weren't they traded for each other no they were both or, Nurkic was on the Nuggets oh he was on the Nuggets and, and they, he was traded away and he was for, the, was that for Will Barton is that how that happened is that what happened nah Barton was already there I think. I know those two are tied to each other. I knew that was they were on the Nurkic same team was a or, pick, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had promise, but then this second round friggin' Joker comes out of the nowhere. Pillsbury Joker. The Pillsbury Joe Boy. Joke That's boy. Not great. That's not great, but it's okay. Um We're workshopping. All of a sudden, like the second round pick is like a star slinging passes left and right. They move off Nurkic, who was the high round pick, mm-hmm. and put put him in Portland. Mm-hmm. Then it flourished more because he had potential the whole time as well. Why? Uh, poor, uh Will Barton played one year. On a Portland playoff team, 2013-14, they played seven games, which means well, he played seven games, only 11 minutes, so not a ton. Yeah. So, but he, but he was yeah, there. He's he, been, it's not any not any real he, meaningful playoff right. experience, but maybe. he was there. So he was, he was there. there though. Um, my question to you, because you're talking about the backcourt for the Denver Nuggets. Yeah. We just went through this whole thing. I totally overplayed it. Probably talked about it too much of how good the matchups are for the Raptors defensively. Yeah. Where do those matchups exist for the Nuggets defensively? Who's even trying to stop Lillard? Who's even Gary trying? Gary Harris. Gary Harris. It's got to be Gary Harris. It's got to be. Gary but then Harris, who stops McCollum? And then you got to hope Jamal Murray can just do something to McCollum. 
But Gary, which I don't think he can. Gary McCollum Harris, is like sneaky shifty. He's so shifty. Like people don't talk about but how then, shifty. You know, is. Barton Barton plays. If Barton's in the game, then he's cover, probably covering McCollum. He's coming off the bench, and though. you hide Jamal Murray. Yeah, but he plays a lot of minutes. He plays starter. You think minutes. he's going to keep coming off the bench? He's got. Him. Yeah, he he does. He's, he's a got bench, he's just a bench guy. I know. But he was starting though, and he wasn't happy about about moving back in the rotation. I mean, you can't argue with the results if if you're him, you would think. But again, right. all these guys have those egos. You know, for better or worse, you know, every every great athlete's got an ego, right? So correct. Uh, Malik Beasley. I mean, you throw him on McCollum when he's out there. They have enough guards to kind of throw at McCollum, I think. But Dame's the question. So who's gonna? It's got to be Gary Harris. Who do you think's gonna guard Jokic? <laughs> it's not gonna be Enos Cantor. It can't be. It can't be. Barbecue chicken. Barbecue chicken all day. I mean, granted, Enos got some girth on him. He's got the strength. Yeah, no, Nurkic isn't, exa- isn't fast. Like, he's but not going to blow by Nurkic. It's just, or, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Cantor. Yeah, but Cantor, just IQ wise, not even on the same universe. He's going to put Cantor's brain Jokic. in a blender. Yeah. He's going to put it in a pretzel. He's going to have no clue what to do. Who guards Jokic? I'm serious now. I'm like Al Farouk Aminu? Zach Collins? Zach, but he doesn't play enough. Myers Leonard? Does he doesn't play enough? There, maybe he's gonna. Have feel, to start are we forge- are we forgetting like a center? I feel like we're like forgetting someone almost. I mean, they were playing the Thunder. Stephen Adams for as nice a who piece is hurt. he is, who is banged up for as nice a piece he is, isn't a guy who's gonna hold the ball for more than three seconds at a time. Jokic is gonna be the center of attention. And I think even the question during that OKC series was. Can you get enough minutes out of Cantor, Leonard, and Collins? Collins had moments. Cantor had moments. Leonard had a moment, maybe or two. Jokic is going to be tough to stop. But as we saw in Game 7 here, the Nuggets are a exponentially different team when Jamal Murray's hitting shots. I mean, they're, they're, they're night and day when he's hitting shots. It's not particularly close. I have bad news for the Blazers. We weren't forgetting anyone. No, we weren't. It's, we weren't. I, I don't think... I. Yeah, you just confirmed that? You yeah, just I just looked at the roster. I was like, yep, those are all the big men who had any minutes. So that's the question. So it's who guards Lillard? Uh, we think it's Gary Harris. Can he do an okay job? We shall see. Who guards Jokic? I don't have an answer right now. If Gary Harris is going to do a good job on Lillard, he's probably going to give you zero on offense because right. you literally have to pick up Dame over half court. He's shooting 40% from 30 to 40 feet. Oh, my God. The NBA three-point line is about 23, does, 24 does, feet. Does, it's like 23 feet, 9 inches, or something like that. Does Dame get... feet, 9 inches. It, well, it's different around the key. Top of the key? Right, right, right. 20, no, no, 26 well, and a half? It's, it's, it cuts in at the corners. Everywhere else, it's the same. 26 and a half? Is that it? I no, I, th- I thought it was like 23. Oh, maybe that's it. Anyways. <laughs> Go ahead. I just had a <laughs> huge brain fart. Dame Lillard... Does he get the James Harden Utah Jazz treatment, where like they're picking him up at half court, almost playing behind him, like just don't want him to pull from thirty? Like, does he get that similar treatment, where they're like, we'd rather you just drive and something else happen than you just be able to shoot from over here? Yeah, I think that I think they're gonna face guard him, and I think they're gonna have to really pressure him on the ball to make sure he doesn't shoot the reason and attack. Get the ball out of his hands because he's not gonna finish over you. He's kind of more the Kyrie Irving. Crafty below the rim score. He can dunk on you, but he probably won't. Like he won't want to use that energy. numbers game. Yeah, yeah. you got to make the other guys beat you. You have to. And it, it, you know, CJ McCollum this is going to be a big, big series for him. If they're going to, if the Nuggets are going to put all their effort into stopping Lillard, it's going to come down to CJ McCollum and what he can do. This is for Jennifer. 
He's got to step up for Jennifer again. Do He's it. got to do it do for it. Jennifer again. Do it for Jennifer. He's got to try his best for Jennifer again. All right, what's your prediction? I think I think I like the Blazers. The way that they kind of just shove the thunder to the side and the fact that the they have experience. They've had that awful taste in their mouth of losing Brutal. a playoff series brutally. Like and there's no coming back from that. In in the sense that your biggest insecurities and inefficiencies have been put out there in the world for to see by everyone on a national especially Anthony and Davis global <laughs> yeah and on a global on a global level right. right the nuggets haven't faced that type of adversity yet they don't they don't have that dog in them to kind of be like i'm not going back to that i'm i'm not being embarrassed like that again so you think it's a short series or a long series i don't know i'm going long i'm going blazers in 7 I think the Nuggets will put together three games where we go, Jesus, this team's this is why this is why they're the second best team in the West this year because they're that talented, they're that good. Jokic is that much of a star, mm-hmm. and then there's going to be a tough loss or two, and then a game where they get blown out. I think Jokic is going to need to average like thirty points a game for them to win this series, and I just don't know if he's hardwired like that. Right. I feel like that that forty three point game the, he had is really the, unnatural. It's the points responsible for. If he only has twenty but has sixteen assists, sure, does that work? Sure. I, I mean, don't know. there's you, but you could be making great passes that should be assists, and guys just don't make shots. So That's then true. what? Now That's you're true. now you're not responsible for those points, even though that you know that pass was just as good as the other pass. The guy maybe, just didn't make the shot. Maybe it was a better pass. Maybe it was a better pass. Who's, who's the judge? Who knows? I'm not judging. So I'm saying it's Jokic is just he's not hardwired that way. Blazers in seven, six. I'll go six. Okay, that's good stuff, man. This is this is fun stuff. Yeah, we don't get to do the podcast in person like we used to. We used to like basically live together. We did. We lived together for a month. When this podcast was that when it first started, or was uh, that the next year? I think it was the next year. The next year. Yeah, I think you're right. You didn't live in my, yeah my house that year. Yeah. Then you lived. You had your own house. I lived with Pete for a good six weeks in college. Yeah. It was great times. It was good. I, I was living out of my I'll car. Give you, I'll give you another. I already, I already said you were a good shooter before, so I'll give you one more compliment today. Um, Duffy in my college house quickly became the controller of the remote for the TV. Great, it's, a, it's a very important job. I'm a great remote guy. And you asserted yourself as the remote guy, and we were all so happy that someone finally took control. That we were sad. Is that a big inefficiency in the house? We were sad when you left. Let's Someone just, needed to step in. And, let's and just, just leave it at that. <laughs> it was tough when you left. Better addition to the house, me or Spanx? Spanx, sorry. I know. Dog, that, shit, dog, that was the right answer. That dog was the best dog that was the right of answer. all time. He's still alive. No, he's not dead. Just like Bab. Bab's also still alive. R.I.P., <laughs> <laughs> but just you're still alive. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. So we're not done yet. One last thing, because I know you said you had something spicy with Kevin Durant related. Um, Ooh, Sports yeah. Blog New York Podcast. You guys are the best for listening. If you're listening right now, give us a shout out. Hit me on Twitter at P Kennedy. Two Y's on the end. Shout out Duff. I'll just tell him that you said something. He doesn't have a Twitter. I'll find it. Uh, he'll, yeah, I'll show it to him. And um, also, subscribe, rate, review. Check us out on Spotify now, which is dope. And uh, t- shout out to Team Left Jab as well. Those ratings and reviews, like they're just so dope. When someone takes the time to, it doesn't take that much time. So actually, I'm not, we're not asking for much. Just hit the stars, say something. We love that. It's the best thing that I see every time I open it up and check. Uh, so feel free to do that. Now, last words, Duff. What do you got? Kevin Durant. I really think there's only four teams he could go to uh, next season after he's probably going to opt out this year. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. Whatever. This will fit into the theory. So it's the Warriors. It's the Knicks, it's the Clippers, and it's the Nets. Now, I want I, I I'm gonna ask you a question here. 
Tell me why Kevin Durant shouldn't go to the Nets over those other teams. I'm gonna actually no no I'll, I'll rephrase. There's three other teams he can go to. Let's not talk about Golden State. Though. Like the reasons right. he should say there are numerous. Yes, and obvious. And obvious. So really, Clippers, Knicks, Nets. Why shouldn't he go to the Nets over those other two teams? I'm gonna be Kevin Durant here. So I am now Kevin Durant, but I'm just gonna talk how I normally talk. I'm Kevin Durant. Y'all know who I am, right? Yeah, you know who I am. That's why. He wants to be. What the, the fuck best. does that mean, Kevin Durant? I want. I'm. I'm the best player on the planet. I deserve to be recognized of as the greatest basketball player in the NBA right now. I may have been for a couple of years. I need to show you now, and I want you to believe me now. And if I go to the New York Knicks, there's no denial if I carry them to the place that they've been dying to get since the early 70s. There's no denial. The, the Nets the, don't fit that description either? If I go to the Brooklyn Nets, the hype is not the same. The expectations are not the same. That is another smart choice, but it is not the greatest choice where I can become the greatest. It's that simple. And now, now I'm Pete again. It's really that simple. And I know... I've heard people say, like, the Nets really have a chance. The Clippers really have a chance. I don't see it. He doesn't want to be a second-fiddle team. If the Nets, if he goes to the Nets and the Knicks grab Zion, get the number one pick, what's a bigger draw? Seriously. Zion and MSG, the most hyped player out of college for years? Yeah, that's... Or Kevin Durant in Barclays in Brooklyn? It's Zion. The Knicks going to be louder. The Knicks are going to sell more tickets. Kevin Durant and Brooklyn will be electric. It'll be fantastic. They probably have a better basketball situation right now. Mm-hmm. They definitely have a better basketball situation right now. But I'm I'm saying Kevin Durant is at the point where he wants to enter mogul stage. He wants to enter the place where he's undeniably one of the greatest players of all time and and still going up. And that greatness factor that will take place in Madison Square Garden for the New York Knicks just trumps every other town. The I, the Nets is one. I think the Clippers is a better example than the Nets because if he goes to L.A. and is able to put the Clippers ahead of LeBron, his number one arch nemesis at the moment, that is a bigger win than the Nets being what they could be. But Kawhi Leonard's going to the Clippers, and Kevin Durant's not going to play with Kawhi Leonard. It's not happening. Why? Because they're the same position. They're the same type of player. They're the Kevin Durant doesn't want to be sharing sharing with this anymore. He's but, a sharing player, but he wants it to be his team. Him and Kawhi, it's their team. Him and Kyrie, it's still Kevin Durant's team. He has Kyrie with them. What you said about the and also I don't know if Kyrie's coming. So the future Kyrie. basketball situation for the Knicks is true. If they get Kyrie Irving and they get the number one pick, that becomes the most desirable destination for all the things you said: the narrative, the talent, uh, and the location. However, I say he shouldn't go to the Clippers, not because of Kawhi. I think that's a foolish argument. Now, I'm not saying you're not saying I'm foolish. I'm not saying you're foolish and that but you're you wrong, but I'm saying if Kevin Durant actually thinks that way, then he is foolish. Because the biggest mistake LeBron made when he went to the Lakers is he chose for non basketball reasons why he wanted to go to the Lakers. That was not the best basketball situation for him to step into. It was Philadelphia, it was the Sixers. But it was gonna be the same thing where it's not his team, this is Joel and Ben's team. And you're going to come over here and you're going to ring chase and we're going to take your help. And 
cheer for you while you're here. But we're always going to kind of attribute this to them and not you. It's going to be, it's going to be, we did it with your help kind of thing. Do you now, say that I, if LeBron didn't pull his groin this year? You don't. I 100% said I said that last year before he even went. I yeah. said Philadelphia is the the number one location for him. But if if the from La- a basketball perspective, but if the Lakers just knocked off the Thunder in round one and the Spurs weren't, I'm in not here, playing this game with you. But it, you have to no because Kevin Durant's looking at it like he probably looks at it and says, "Yeah, LeBron's situation wasn't great this year, but if he didn't get hurt, they're in the playoffs," and he knew it, and so did LeBron. Yeah, but I, you don't know where he's going to be seated. You for don't sure. know who's going to oh, be yeah, up course. against. Of course. But you also, you don't think uh, Kevin Durant thinks no matter what team I'm on, I'm in the playoffs? Is that enough? Maybe you're one. Is that one. enough? I mean, it, it depends. It depends if Kyrie You saw what happened him. with LeBron. If, any, if you tweak a, a uh, groin it, it de- or a hammy it, it you're not, and you miss the playoffs, like now you're a pariah. It depends if he knows if other people are joining him. Does he know Kyrie's going with him? Does yeah, he know my that point being, Tobias Harris is going to go to the next? Does he know that Kemba Walker's going to leave Charlotte? Like, does he know one of these things is going to happen? My point being right now, the Nets have the best balance in terms of basketball situation and and ultimately positive narrative for Kevin Durant because there are too many variables right now for the Knicks. You know, if they get Kawhi or, or I'm sorry, Kyrie, if Kyrie decides he wants to go to the Knicks or Kem- or Kemba or Kemba, for I get for or or they get the first round pick, maybe in the first overall pick, yeah, first overall pick in the first round. But the Nets right now have a better structure around him and that but like the Clippers would be the perfect team for any superstar to just step into anyone and you're just it's tailor-made for just someone to come in make a supermax or whatever they're tailor-made for Kawhi Leonard tailor-made for Kawhi for Kevin Durant Kevin Durant either one maybe not uh, Not maybe Kyrie not I think him and Montrezl Harrell could have a good pick and roll great pick Montrezl Harrell but here's the thing about the Clippers is everything you do is going to be compared to LeBron and what he's doing over there. Whether you're doing better or worse or right. the same, everything's going to be in relation to LeBron James, and that's completely to your point that it's not about his narrative, Kevin yeah. Durant. And I think if he goes to the Nets, he'll be in New York City, but he'll be slightly out of the spotlight. And I think that's what he'll be more comfortable with as a person. Now, if he goes to the Nets, I think the media actually be tougher because they're all going to be burying him for not being on the Knicks. Because that would have made everyone's job so easy, so much easier sure. if you're in the media. No, it's true. Hundred percent. Even though so many people who are in the media live in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, but that's. Not, I mean, like, fine. It helps with your commute or whatever. Yeah, but like, yeah, it, it'll no, be tougher I, to write about. I, I, I don't know. If I, I think I s- from a basketball perspective, I think LeBron James's biggest mistake is that he did not make a choice based on basketball. He made it on personal narrative and what he wants to do after basketball. Mm-hmm. And I really felt felt that him and others put too much. Uh, too much weight into that, you know, post-career conversation because he's like 34. He's a young man. Like, I get he's got a lot of miles on his body, but if he keeps taking care of himself and the worst thing he suffers is a pulled groin, like, come on, what are we he's talking got about? Time. He's got time. He's got time to play. He's got time. So, Kevin Durant, like, you need to take a look at, you need to say, I'm Kevin Durant. I'm a little shy. I don't like it when people yell at me. If he doesn't. I love to play basketball and I love to play for. With people that also love to play basketball, and that's the Brooklyn and, Nets, and know how to play basketball, and know how to play basketball, and, and that's, that's the Brooklyn Nets. That's the Brooklyn Nets. Is the if he moves to if he goes to the not not if he goes to not the Knicks, any team, is that a move that he always looks at and say, "What could I have done if I went to the Mecca?" It depends. If he makes it to the finals, if he wins a championship, he won't look back. 
again, this is a results-oriented question, but as, so much, these, as so much in sports is. These titles may have not even done it for them. We also have to see what happens this year. The one thing, I'm, last thing I'm going to say, because I don't know if I said it before when we were talking about I don't about think the you did, team. but to talk, yeah. Yeah. The one thing about Kevin Durant, what you can say, but he's snooty or he sounds in his feelings or he's clapping back on people on Instagram and Twitter. All this stuff is going on. All this noise is going on around him. Every reporter's just bickering him with questions he doesn't want to answer that aren't basketball related. Stude, my man, Stude Ethan Strauss. <laughs> my dude, Kevin Durant, never lets it affect his on court play. I mean, look what's happening right now. We've all been sitting here saying he's got one foot out the door, including me. What's it going to do? Everybody to his game? and ever since believes he has one foot out the door, and he's just balling. Yeah, it's incredible, and which is why I'm not nervous for him to come to New York if he comes. That's a great point. I'm not nervous at all. Mark Berman is going to get in fucking Kevin Durant's head. Get out of here, Berman of the Post. Come on. I don't even know who that is. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm Kevin Durant. I know you. Y'all know who I am? Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. Anyways, this was fun. Sports Blog New York Podcasts, iTunes, Apple Podcasts app, Google Play, and now on Spotify. Thank you guys for listening. Stay tuned for more content in the coming weeks.